Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David Johnson, and I'm joined by the other guy. Dale, representing the Christian or Seeker side. Oh, and by the way, I am a skeptic. <laughs> in, case, in case you've forgotten, um, today we're going to uh, have a very special uh, discussion about resurrection, because it's Easter. It's Holy Saturday. Uh, as we record this show. Yes, Holy Saturday. It's a thing for some churches, I guess. Um, So on this Holy of Holy Saturdays, uh, we are going to talk resurrection. Uh, The blog post this week, already written, is called Risen Indeed, and we're going to see um, into the story of the Jesus resurrection, but perhaps look at it from a, a slightly different angle, look at a few questions that maybe aren't asked traditionally around this time of year. I am going to try to make the very difficult case that Christians don't actually care about resurrection. That is that is the heart of my case. And I know that every Christian out there is saying, what? <laughs> are you drunk? No, I am not drunk. I don't drink. Even atheists are out there saying, what? That's the only thing Christians care about. Well, so I did say it was a difficult case. Uh, but I'm going to try to make uh, the case anyway, just to have a little bit of fun, have a little bit of challenge. Uh, Christians don't actually care about resurrection. Before I jump into it, anything you want to say, uh, Dale, before we get started? Uh, like announcements-wise, you mean? Yeah, any, any, anything. anything um, I'm just, I'm just going to sure. dive in otherwise. Okay, uh, so yeah, I guess things to, to watch out for. Um, uh, in terms of Easter, we, we had a round table, so that's going to be, look for that on the Ask an Atheist Anything podcast. Uh, we'll put up a link for that. Um, also check out the, we're going to have a couple of Shroud Wars supplementals. Um, so look out for that. Um, yeah. And, and we have a guest coming up next week. Uh, we'll save that for the end. Okay. Give them okay. something to listen for. So, uh, um, happy Easter. Yeah, all right. <laughs> okay. That's, that's yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to bite my tongue a little bit there. Um, yes. Happy Happy Easter, everybody! Um, right, so let's uh, let's get into it. Do Christians really care about the resurrection? I don't think so. So I've got I've got basically two cases to make, maybe three. Let's just kind of see how it goes. The first part of the case, which I'm just gonna uh, say and walk away from, and maybe I'll get challenged on it later, is that Christians don't care about non-Christian resurrection stories. If Christians really cared about resurrection as a thing, they would spend a lot more time and energy on non-Christian resurrection stories. There are plenty of non-Christian resurrection stories out there. There are plenty of them from history. There are plenty of them from contemporary time. Christians simply don't give a tinker's damn. They they ignore those stories as hard as they can. Or uh, if they take the time to look at them at all, they dismiss them even more harshly than rabid atheists dismiss the Jesus resurrection story. And in much the same way with much the same arguments. So they, they don't actually care about resurrection because when it comes to other resurrections, uh, they turn a blind eye. 
Case number two is where I uh, will probably spend most of my time, uh, we'll see about Dale's rebuttal, is that Christians don't even care about their own resurrection stories. Did you know that there were nine resurrection stories in the Bible? I, I, you know, I wish I could take a poll here, but I am willing to bet that less than 10% of Christians realize that there are more than two or three in the Bible. There are nine in the Bible. Three of them are in the Old Testament. Now, I, I'm, I'm saying this, uh, you know, from my experience in the church and also my experience as a preacher when I would talk about some of these other resurrection stories. Uh, people who had been in the church all their lives were shocked <laughs> to read about some of these other resurrection stories. Why? Because they really don't care about resurrection as a thing. Uh, so I'm going to swing back around to this one. I'll, I'll just mention the third one uh, briefly because, once again, I don't know exactly where the conversation will go and what Dale will want to challenge. I'll just mention this. If he's taking notes, he might want to swing back around to it. I would also argue that resurrection is just not the most impressive, uh, impressive miracle. I, I don't think that it is the sign of a God that if someone can raise someone from the dead, that that means we should devote our life and, you know, throw away our, our moral intuition and all, and just worship that God and do everything that God says. I don't think that resurrection is, uh, the end all be all for that sort of thing. I think that there are actually more impressive miracles as far as, as far as, um, faith, uh, is concerned. So I, I would argue that, Resurrection, as as impressive as it sounds, maybe not as a, it, impressive as it as it seems at first blush. So I want to go back to the second one though to to make my case here because that's where I spent time in the blog and uh, one of uh, the criticisms that uh, Dale sometimes has of me is you know write a blog post and then then I'll proceed to talk about something else in the podcast, which. Uh, I agree, I do. So in this case, I'm going to just flesh out the blog post a little bit, and uh, once again, we'll see where it goes. So uh, I mentioned three resurrections in the Bible, and I ask three questions about those resurrections. The first resurrection is in 2 Kings. It's one of my favorite resurrections in the Bible. It's it's as crazy as the one in Matthew 27. Um and it it happens uh incidentally uh there's there's no one praying for a resurrection uh it just it just happens so there there's a man who dies and we don't know how he dies uh we don't know his name it's it's just some dead guy uh and uh, there is apparently some kind of military action going on because uh, they're they're being chased by uh, soldiers from from some other village or some such, and also for some reason they happen to be around uh, Elisha the prophet his his tomb. So these things uh, come together. It's it's just a story. This is all actually told in one verse of the Bible. So it's not even a very elaborate story. Uh, and so what they do is they dump the corpse into the tomb where the bones of Elisha were. And the corpse brushes against uh, 
the the bones of the prophet, and the corpse stands up and comes to life. <laughs> so that's the story. It's it's utterly absurd. In fact, I'll just I'll read it to you. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man came to life and stood on his feet. Second <laughs> Kings thirteen twenty one, and you can try to put that in context and read back. There's there really isn't much more to the story than that. So, um, yeah. So what we have in this case is uh, a group of uh, soldiers. I don't know how educated they were. They've got magic bones. You know this. I don't even know if they knew whose bones it was, but there's some bones. It, they're magic. Corpse gets tossed in. Live person comes out. Why didn't they try this again on some of the other dead, for instance? I mean, why didn't they just say, hey, <laughs> magic bones, let's take those with us. I bet there's something we could do with that. <laughs> you know, um, why don't we hear about other stories of people trying it? Why don't we hear about the people who were burned to a crisp because they tried to steal the prophet's bones? What? You know why we don't hear stuff like that? Because it never happened. Because it's a stupid, stupid story in the Bible that Christians are kind of embarrassed about and for the most part don't know about anyway. But this is, this is how the Bible treats resurrection stories. Uh, and so trying to do what Christians don't do, which is to take the story seriously and literally, I have to ask, why didn't this become a thing? So the second resurrection story is one that uh, I think most Christians know about, maybe at least half, I would say. It's the uh, resurrection of Jairus' daughter. Now, I would say that they probably uh, are, are a little bit fuzzy on the details. Um, so Jesus is asked to uh, heal a person's uh, daughter. She's, she's on the brink of death. Uh, he uh, is making his way to the village, uh, gets a little distracted, and along the way, uh, someone comes along and says, never mind, don't bother me anymore. Uh, she's dead. It's over. And Jesus says, nah, don't listen to that. He, and he goes on to the house anyway. And uh, here's where the story gets a little bit weird. So he, he, his disciples, I don't know how many disciples he had with him. We assume that the 12 were following around all the time. So he tells nine of them, yeah, you got to stay outside. Only, Only the most inner of the inner circle get to see this miracle. So he carves out Peter, James, and John, leaves the others outside. I would really love to hear a bit more color from that, from that conversation. But anyway, um, brings them in, and he raises the girl from the dead. Now, we're, we're pretty much left with a story like that. Well, actually, Jesus uh, tells the parents, hey, don't tell anybody. Don't don't tell him what you saw, because this is this is mysterious Jesus here. At any rate, when we come to the death of Jesus, the disciples know that he has claimed that he was going to be raised from the dead. Peter, James, and John, the, the leader of the the leaders of the group, were right there when Jesus raised this dead person. They were right there. They they saw the whole thing. And I think there would have been at least one other that all of the, the disciples saw. I, I just mentioned this because when it came time for them to have faith, 
that Jesus then could be raised from the dead. They weren't sitting at the tomb praying. They, they, weren't, they weren't watching the tomb afar off just to see what would happen, say, around Sunday morning. They went fishing or they were in hiding. Now, my question is, why didn't they believe it? Why didn't they believe this miracle of the resurrection of Jairus' daughter? They were right there. It could be that these three people who were in there recognized that it was BS. It could be that they saw this thing and said, yeah, okay, not very impressive. When it came time, uh, as a matter of life or death, they recognized, yeah, you know what, not very impressive. I'm not staking my life on that. And the question is, if you're there in the room and you watch Jesus raise a person from the dead up close, you would believe it surely. Why didn't they believe it? Uh, my third and last miracle would be... Uh, Dorcas. Uh, you might know her as Tabitha. So Peter, one of the people in the room, finally on board with resurrections now, does a resurrection of his own in the book of Acts. And uh, a surprising number of Christians don't know this story, as important as Acts is to the Christian story. But at any rate, uh, Tabitha uh, dies. She's kind of like Sister Susie who sewed socks for soldiers. Uh, she, she did a lot of charity work with sewing or something like that. And uh, the widows of the town uh, came to Peter and said, look, you see uh, these fine clothes uh, she made for us? She was such a good woman. Uh, can, can you raise her up, please? And Peter says, oh, okay. And he raised her up. My question about this story is, why was she chosen? Because... There are many, many saintly men and women who did lots of things that are probably more impressive than charity sewing. And yet we have this seemingly arbitrary act of power that, that Peter just grants casually. At least this woman gets a name in the story. None of the other people get names, but at least at least this woman gets a name. Okay, there was Zacharias, but um, so yeah. Why was why was she chosen for this gift? Uh, this wasn't pre-Jesus. Uh, Jesus wasn't the last resurrection, and I'm not sure even the most dramatic resurrection. And if this is a sign that resurrections can still happen today, why don't they happen? And when Christians claim that they do happen, we're left with the question, well, why that person, not another person? Uh, if, it's, if it's all very arbitrary, uh, then your odds are better to win a jackpot in Vegas or Atlantic City. So I don't, I don't, I don't understand why we're talking about resurrection unless we have a co coherent story of what makes it happen. Um, so why was she chosen? So that, those are my three questions. Why didn't this become a thing uh, in the case of the first one? Why didn't they believe it in the case of uh, Jairus' daughter? And uh, why, was, why was this woman uh, a, a person that we have never heard before and, ne and not from since? Why was she chosen? Uh, I think that resurrection stories tend to serve a purpose for the moment in terms of uh, making sermons and uh, helping the faith of Christians and that sort of thing, but they don't seem to be 
stories that we should take literally or seriously in history, and Christians themselves don't seem to take them literally or seriously either. So I'm not entirely sure why I should. That's my case for today. Okay. Um, all right. So yeah, uh, happy Easter, everybody, as I said before. Uh, and yeah, I think we're talking about a, an essential element of the Christian faith this week with Jesus' resurrection. Uh, as the Apostle Paul says, um, if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile or vain. Um, you're, you know, you're just believing in fairy dust. You, you might as well, you know, you're still dead in your sins and this sort of thing. So obviously every sincere, honest seeker knows that the resurrection is not an op of Jesus is not an option that you can waffle on. You have to believe this. Um, so... The skeptics uh, is trying to point out that we have a double standard uh, in this regard. Um, so the first point that I made a note on to speak on, um, so resurrection as a as a miracle in general is not that impressive to him compared to other miracles. Um, yeah, to this I, I'm just gonna say, what? This is actually complete rubbish. I'm sorry. If, if we've got a genuine supernatural miracle, that is amazing. I mean healing of someone supernaturally that has cancer is amazing you might oh but naturally people yeah but that's not the question we're saying no god supernaturally heals that person of cancer that is incredible that is amazing that divine involvement um resurrection rising raising somebody from the dead is amazing walking on water so yeah i don't necessarily classify events within the supernatural category as being more amazing than the other they're, they're all equally amazing to my mind um you know it's going above the laws of nature and god himself is actually getting involved uh with creation and inputting a new event um that's pretty pretty incredible to me um however um it's true G uh, Derek, david points out three various cases of uh res biblical resurrections and they're not treated in the same way as Jesus' resurrection is. Jesus gets top place. So, so why on earth would this be? And it's because of the purpose for which God is raising Jesus. Um, this is why Jesus' resurrection is, is fundamentally different and essential to the Christian faith. Um, there is an eschatological significance to Jesus' resurrection. He is dying for our sins and rising to conquer death uh, and defeating the God of this world, defeating Satan. He, he's atoning for our sins, putting mankind in a right relationship. Uh, this is fundamentally different than just some random resurrection miracle uh, or, you know, a resurrect, a minor resurrection miracle for, uh, you know, out of compassion or to provide an object lesson or to prove that he's a prophet. Um, this resurrection fundamentally altered our reality so that man can now get into a right standing relationship um, with God. And, and this is why Jesus' resurrection is actually different from the other resurrections. All the other resurrections, they just it's just a mere resuscitation, more or less. They, they get up, they live as before, uh, and then they ultimately die again. Um, with Jesus' resurrection, he has he now has a glorious resurrection body that only Jew, the only person in history to have that. He's the first fruits, as Paul says, of, of the resurrection. Nobody else has gotten a glorious resurrection 
or spiritual body uh, until the end times, until Judgment Day. Um, so, yeah, and, and Jesus is immortal. He's never died again. So all of these elements are what differentiate Jesus' resurrection from other resurrections. And it's it's that eschatological significance. Um, I, I promised uh, Sarah and, and some of that that I'd throw in a human element. So yesterday for Good Friday's uh, our Good Friday service, our pastor was going on, you know, the what does it mean when Jesus says it is finished? Uh, what what is the emotion behind that? Um, you know, we we typically in Hollywood, it, it's almost like Jesus is, oh, he, he's, oh, it's, it's finished, it's out of relief, or it's giving, it's you know, sort of betrayed as though he's giving up, uh, like, oh, it, it's finished. You know what I mean? Um, but we don't really know what the emotion are. But it, it could have been it could have been absolute joy on Jesus. It is finished. I have atoned for these these sins, um, and and allowed mankind to get into a right relationship with God. So maybe we should be reading these this. It is finished with the emotion of joy, um, and and that you know I, I threw in that to to prove that I'm human for you guys. And um, but yeah. The, this emotional fact, I thought that this emotional anecdote, uh, it signifies my point here that there's an eschatological significance, which is completely unique to Jesus' resurrection compared to all these other ones. Um, so, yeah, let, let's look at each of the three cases because the skeptic has a question for each case. So the first one is regarding the Old Testament, the second Kings. And, and I have to confess, I was one of the Christians. I'd never heard this story before. I'm in First Kings in my reading in the Old Testament. So I, um, yeah, I didn't know about this story at all. Uh, so yeah, so the skeptics question here is, so some random guy, it, it appears random. Uh, he was thrown in the tomb, bones resurrected from the dead. Why didn't this become a thing? Um, well, first of all, we don't know that it didn't. They didn't try. Maybe it was a one-time act. They, they tried throwing other you know, oh, my mom's dead. Okay, I'll throw her in. And it didn't work. So, you know, it just isn't narrated in the Bible. Maybe it did become a thing. We don't know. But, uh, <laughs> just, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, got, I got the giggles. I'm not editing this out. But just, well, you know, we tried We tried dumping your mom, man. How about your grandpa? I mean, he's, he just died. Let's give it a go. I don't know. The dog? Maybe the dog. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I mean, maybe, maybe they tried. I'm trying. I'm trying to make the the serious answer to this is maybe it was a one-time act for some purpose. Maybe it was an object lesson. You know, don't don't just dump corpses on the bones of the prophet. You know, have some respect. Um, That's not the know. lesson. The lesson is if you do it, they'll come back to to life. <laughs> That can't be the lesson. I don't think I don't think we have enough to say in the text. Like you, even yourself, say it's just such a short little text that just describes what happened. So um, I just just so I, I'm sorry to interrupt. So just so uh, people know, if you haven't read uh, the post, I actually started off with a little bit of a, a fictional uh, story about this. And uh, so in my reimagining of this. This man came back a brain-eating zombie, and uh, he just uh, <laughs> killed the rest of the troop that dumped him in the tomb. <laughs> so uh, that's that's probably where <laughs> Dale went when he said, you know, maybe it's an object lesson. Don't just dump people in the uh, tomb with the prophet. Anyway, go ahead. 
yeah, and and people in the ancient Near East had a fear of death and and anything to do with the dead people. There there are commandments not to have anything to do with dead people and that sort of thing. So maybe they didn't even want to try to raise other people to dead. No, they they stay in their place and that sort of thing. So, I mean. Yeah, there could, there could be any number of reasons as to why why wasn't there like a, a flash mob like on Boxing Day to the t- to Elisha's tomb to you know start raising corpses? Um, yeah, there, there's just not enough information in the text that I saw when I read it. Uh, and again, this was new to me. I, I haven't studied this or anything like that um, to say. Yeah, I, I think that there could be any number of reasons why this didn't become the the hot new thing in, in Israel to start bringing all your dead people back to life and that sort of thing. And even if they, even if it, even if some of them did try, try this, it, Oh, it didn't work. Okay. It was a one-time thing for whatever purpose God had in doing that. Um, next up is Jarius's daughter. Uh, so Jesus rose this. So, so, um, yeah, why, why wouldn't the disciple, why would they be not expecting Jesus to rise from the dead? Um, if this is literal, they would have seen that Jesus had risen people from the dead before, uh, plus um, Jesus predicted that he would be rising from, from the dead. And, and granted, the disciples didn't understand the prophecies. Um, they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. When he said he would raise them from the dead, but uh, here's a possible here's a possible answer. Um, even if they did fully understand it, uh, Jesus prediction, okay, you're going to rise from the dead, and they they had the examples where he obviously rose people from the dead. Why weren't they waiting at the tomb? Well, because with Jesus' case, it was entirely different. So perhaps the disciples were cowering in fear because they said, okay, yeah, I saw Jesus rise from the dead, but Oh, he's just been hung on a tree. He's been cursed by God. He's been judged by God and his agents, the Sanhedrin, um, and been found guilty. So maybe they were right. Maybe he's raising these people through the power of of Satan, um, and now God has condemned him. So they wouldn't be expecting him to raise from the dead because he's been exposed as an agent of Satan, and and. You know that that caused them to lose heart. He he wasn't actually the Messiah. So yeah, I think that could explain a potential answer. Even taking every, even being the most charitable I can to the literalistic understanding, they they understood clearly Jesus predicted he would rise from the dead, which biblically speaking we know they didn't. Um, and they had a clear example, and they they made the connection and that sort of thing. This answer could could answer it. They you know the the fact that they thought. Jesus had been exposed as an agent of Satan, and that's how he was doing this. Um, taps, so, so how, would, then, how would his resurrection? Um, uh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> how would his resurrection clear them of the notion that he had risen from the power of Satan? So, if if that's what they thought going in, what would have changed their mind? Uh, because they saw Jesus appear with his glorious resurrection body, which only God could provide someone. How and, do they know that Satan couldn't have provided that? And it's, it, once you Satan once you bring can't. in another God into the the mix, I'm not sh- I'm not sure how you ever uh, take that off the table as a possibility. 
Anyway, no. you can you can finish your case. I I, uh, I wanted I'm not taking notes, so I wanted to say that while uh, while it was fresh yeah. in my mind. Go ahead. And, and this would be the key, one of the keys with the eschatological significance of Jesus' resurrection. He didn't just resuscitate like the others did. He actually had a full-on glorious resurrection body. He was appearing in and out through walls. He, you know, um, he, yeah, he, he manifested as with a spiritual body, with a resurrection body. This was a difference where Jarius's daughter... Sure, she rose back, but she died again. She just had an ordinary body that she had before she died originally. Um, so this this is what tipped them off that God is behind this, um, and it Satan can't counterfeit that kind of thing. Um, God would never allow Satan to counterfeit that. Um, so you say so? Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that they they would have saw it. That could have been a difference if they were thinking this sure. along these lines. Um, I personally, I don't believe Satan doesn't have the power to even raise other people from the dead. Um, that that's done through God. So, I, in my my answer is assuming that they had the same mistake in understanding that the Pharisees had. You get it? Like, I'm not sure. Satan sure. doesn't actually have the power to raise anyone from the dead. So the I, fact that someone's... I'll, yeah. I'll swing back around this in, in uh, uh, rebuttal. I, I just wanted to throw it out there because, like I said, I'm not taking notes. So I wanted to get it out there before I okay. forgot. So. Um, and then there's Tabitha. Uh, what what was your question about Tabitha again? Oh, yeah, why her? Why her? Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so... Why not her? Because I mean, um, there was a more uh, there was a more worthy person next door, you know. That if I can supply a little headcanon. Um, so yeah, why her? Well, no, no one is more worthy than an, another. We are all sinners. We're we're all the greatest person in the world has you know has his own his or her own skeletons in the closet. Um, so we. It, it's not about oh Tabitha. Well, to be fair, some of the Tabitha. skeletons I have in the closet is because I know that they can raise dead people when they come in contact. And I've got a little side business, so. Oh, so you're showing disrespect. You're unceremoniously. Uh... <laughs> I've been dumping dead things in that closet for years, trying to get things to raise. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You little bugger. All right. Um, um, so yeah, in terms of Tabitha, it, it's the same as asking well, why did Jesus particularly heal or commit this particular miracle at, at this time or that sort of thing. Um, it's because God knows that's the appropriate time. This is going to be a, a Bible story, an object lesson for people, or a, a miracle out of compassion. You know, Tabitha happened to be there, and he had uh, Peter had compassion on. Uh, on that family, you know, um, and he didn't know about the, the death five doors down. Nobody came to him and told him about that or something that, um, so yeah, in, in terms of God's overall providence, the answer to this is Molinism. Um, you know, God, God got these story, these particular stories in, in the Bible, you know, you could ask, well, well, Jesus did other, John tells us that Jesus did many other things where the world's books could not contain them. You know, it's like asking, well, why did this particular story make it in, but not the other story? Um, Molinism, you know, the God knew in his providence which 
stories were important to have in his word for us to know about and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, the, that's my my case based on your opening. Yeah, there you go. Does that uh, provide any help for you as on these questions? Yes, it, the help is you don't really have any answers. Um, so <laughs> thanks for thanks for clarifying that for me. Um, sure, and I, I know that that probably sounds a little bit dismissive, but I I don't think that. Um, any of that is very persuasive to anybody. I mean, even Christians listening to it, I, I doubt that they are writing notes feverishly saying, yes, that's how I should respond to that objection. But even, okay, even starting with the eschatological significance, every Christian in the world would be agreeing with that. And I, I don't understand how that doesn't answer your question. Okay, so that, uh, that answers the first point, though. Uh, that I made, which is, um, you know, what's so, what's so, maybe what's so special about uh, Jesus' resurrection. You know, Christians seem to dismiss every resurrection, including their own, except for the Jesus' resurrection. I, I understand that there's eschatological significance to that, but I would just say that that's special pleading. I would say that as resurrection, as a miracle itself goes... Christians aren't really that impressed with it. And as you rightfully point out in uh, in your first few words, all miracles, if indeed they're genuine miracles, one is not more impressive than the other. This is kind of where I was going when I said I'm, I'm not really that impressed with uh, resurrection. There are other miracles that I think would be more impressive and more convincing uh, than that because, it, you know, it's very easy to kind of uh, fake or fudge this this resurrection kind of thing. We had um, just last week on the uh, show Unbelievable. I don't know if you listened to that episode or not. I think you did. Um, a doctor talked about his experience um, being raised from the dead because of a prayer uh, from his wife. And I'm thinking, okay, if that's what you call resurrection, you're just watering down the word. It's, that's not very impressive to me. Uh, you're, you're just talking about a resuscitation. You're not talking about a person who was uh, dead in a grave for four days. Uh, so apparently Christians use the word resurrection in a very broad sense, and I think they use it in a sense that's so broad that it just doesn't mean anything to them, and it doesn't mean anything to me either. Uh, that's kind of what I meant by that. Of course you have to care about Jesus' resurrection, because that's the whole ball game for you. If if your ball game wasn't tied to resurrection, though, you wouldn't be going around saying that resurrection was this great thing. So I, you you care about Jesus' resurrection because you have to. You have no choice. But but you don't care about resurrection as a thing. Yeah, and that's what I was trying to say. Like in and of itself, it's it's just another miracle. But it's it's the purpose of that miracle that. Uh, is why we say, wow, um, you know, what, what an amazing act of God that was. Um, so, so really, yeah, it, it goes down to the purpose uh, of that particular miracle um, and what, what that miracle accomplished uh, in terms of salvation history and, and our relationship, fixing our relationship between man and God. So uh, as I predicted, that's, that's pretty much all we have to say on the subject that we prepared for. I, 
I want to go further than that. I'm, I'm going to leave this part of the program to the commenters to, uh, to rip apart. And by the way, uh, commenters uh, on uh, Louis, Louis Dizon week, uh, last week, that was one of the biggest comment uh, boards we had, uh, I think. I, I want to say, yeah, I just want to thank, thank you, Arthur, for even though you disagreed with, with Lewis and, and me on some things, um, yeah, I think you provided a lot of good uh, comeback and good good comments. It was nice to, to have a Christian interacting with some of the skeptics there and on an ongoing basis. So, yeah. I, I also want to uh, join in in thanking Arthur for coming in and being the spear catcher and... Uh, even though Dale Steele uh, lost his ever-loving mind, you gave him a little bit of a break because usually he's the only one <laughs> catching the spears. And so you jumped in to, to take a few. Uh, thanks, Arthur. I, I hope yeah. you do it again real soon. <laughs> yeah, and not just our... Yeah, all, all Christians. Um, Very much. That don't usually... Yeah, like, have a good combo back and forth and stuff. Uh, yeah, it, it was a really busy uh, week last week. And even though I wasn't in the board much, I was in a little bit more than usual. But um, I follow it and I appreciate it. Um, I don't remember seeing uh, you, Joyce, on the on the board last week. I know that you are a something of a resurrection wonk. So I fully expect uh, to hear from you this week to take me to task or maybe... To take Dale to task <laughs> with this proposition that the disciples uh, maybe thought Jesus was uh, satanic. That that that'll be, that'll be fun. Well, uh, yeah, can't wait at, to see the what the time, commenters do with that. <laughs> at, at the time, after he had been crucified in front of them, cursed by God, which is what the Old Testament says. I mean, they, they ran away for a, a reason, right? They were despondent. Yeah, because they were scared and they knew they had no hope. Uh, that's why they ran away. <laughs> you don't because they, they, because they didn't have any magic. These are people who had been performing freaking magic. And, and you're telling me that they forgot that they had power crackling through their pants. They only and, had power through Jesus. So once Jesus was dead well, and exposed... Wait a minute. They they went yeah. off... When Jesus sent both the 70 and the 72 off, Jesus didn't go with them. He, he sent them off by themselves. Yeah, but he was still he was still alive and that oh, sort of thing. So he, so was, he was like the conduit. So basically, they didn't, they didn't believe anything that Jesus told them. It seems to me that that still doesn't hold water because Jesus told them that it would be okay. And if they had seen Jesus raise people from the dead, they would have remembered. They would have said, yeah, okay, it, it's going to be all right. But they didn't. They went fishing for Pete's sake. They went back to their old lives as if nothing happened or uh, they hid out. It just depends on which story you read. But what they didn't do is they weren't sitting around praying and trying to figure out how to rekindle the magic. You know why? Because yeah, it never happened. No, it's because they lost God's favor and supernatural elements. So they were doubting. They were desponding, despondent and they were doubting Jesus. Did you know, no one think to try? Uh, did no one think to try to turn some water into wine? Really, while they're sitting around moping, did no one think, man, I could use some wine? 
did no one think they can use some wine? No, I mean when they're, when they're sitting around moping, surely they would have thought, man, I could use some some wine right about now, and they would have remembered. Well, you know, Jesus turned the water into wine. Maybe we could try that. Did they never think to try any of the magic they did? No. No. Um, why would they have thought that? That would have been so stupid. They wouldn't be thinking that way. First of all, they would have wouldn't have necessarily had the magic if what I'm saying is true. If they thought Jesus was exposed as a false prophet, a false messiah, an agent of Satan um, by by God and through his crucifixion, um, yeah, they wouldn't have the magic that Jesus gave them and that sort of thing. That um, and also. Yeah, I wouldn't be thinking, oh, I want, I wouldn't be thinking of doing parlor tricks to get wine and get drunk and that sort of thing. You'd be so sad that you, your your friend that you spent the last three years with and you, that you put pinned all your hopes on, um, turned out to be false. And also, you're scared, am I next? And that sort of thing. You, oh, thanks thanks think- for calling it a parlor trick. I, I appreciate your honesty there because... Of all the miracles, really, that was that was the kind of miracle that you know cheap magicians could have done back then. <laughs> so, well, thanks for thanks for being know. honest about that. Anyway, Jesus, in Jesus' case, it wasn't a parlor trick. There is a purpose, a divine purpose behind it. Right? No, it, it was real. Water. It was real magic with him. But it would have been a parlor trick if anyone else had done it. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, well, even if it's real magic, and in terms of like a satanic super, they're just doing it for their own private benefit and that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the difference. Well, Jesus but if there's if they're satanic. thinking, you know, none of this, surely they would have asked themselves, was any of it real? Let's try. I mean, was it the. But the way the Bible story describes their behavior, it's like they didn't remember any of it. Like none of it ever happened. Um, I don't. That's think the, so. that's I, the I only it's... explanation for the kind of behavior we see out of them. Because I got to tell you, if I had just freshly done some pretty impressive magic, and at least seen a, a couple of times uh, people rise from the dead, uh, I wouldn't have reacted that way. With a few okay, soldiers, you're not, you're not Peter. Um, okay, well, Peter was mentally retarded, and we it. shouldn't pay attention to anything the story says because honestly, nobody uh, who is uh, mentally uh, and emotionally sound forgets that they can raise the dead. I think they. I. It's not about. Ne- it's not even about forgetting. It's, it's they don't think of it at the time. They're they're focused on Jesus being a satanic being exposed as a false messiah, an agent of Satan. And yeah, I I wouldn't want to use superpowers, even if I thought of it, if I thought they were coming from Satan, I I would want to disassociate myself from that altogether and and get away and get out of harm's way and that sort of thing. I wouldn't be thinking, hmm, let's see if I can still turn water into wine or if I can walk on water still. I mean, that's not what a human being would think of at that time. That's what I would think of. Okay, well, I guess that proves, you know, Sarah, go after David. He's not a human being. Okay. Uh, not experiencing emotion. I am experiencing emotion. I'm tricks. experiencing that my friend just died, but he left me with superpowers. 
Th- that's ex- that's exactly. Um... They didn't have superpowers though. Okay. 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 <laughs> They didn't have. They couldn't. Not during that time. Jesus wasn't around, and they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Okay. Um. I I, I dispute all of that as just being nonsensical. So once again, I I will um, we'll we'll see um, how the comments go. I mean, there there are a well, couple do, ways do that you, would go. Do you deny? Okay. Once the Holy Spirit came, they didn't have what certain get you know certain gifts of healing that became more pronounced and that sort of thing with the holy spirit and you know speaking in tongues and that sort of thing no well, okay so why was why was it necessary jesus gave them the power to do miracles why couldn't they just speak in tongues on their own forever or or do these miracles without the help of God, you know, through God in the form of Jesus during his ministry and or with the Holy Spirit after the day of Pentecost. Well, I'm not I'm not sure first of all that they didn't have some measure of the Holy Spirit. Uh so you yourself have argued that all people including atheists uh are endowed with the Holy Spirit uh to some degree. Uh and so the apostles clearly had something while Jesus was around, it wasn't just proximity to Jesus. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I don't think proximity to Jesus had anything to do with the power that they could will. Now, granted, they were close to him most of the time because they were his disciples. They were, they were following him around. But I mentioned one occasion where they weren't anywhere near him, um, and you know Jesus. Yeah, he dies, but he still lives. He's he's still alive, uh, just in a different realm. But so I don't see why that means they wouldn't have power. Even if you say they were getting it directly from Jesus, they still could have gotten it directly from Jesus because he wasn't dead. Why couldn't they have got? Oh no, no. What you're talking? About, what do you mean he wasn't dead? Because he wasn't dead, he he uh, he was. Uh, if you read, you know, other New Testament stories, and I don't know how how seriously I should take any of it, but I mean, Jesus is in the grave, but he's alive and he's teaching to the spirits, and he's in hell and preaching to the no, souls in hell, and he's that's uh, dead, right? You're, when your soul is separated from your body, that's biological death. Yeah, but it's biological death. That's not death. Jesus, in other words, God doesn't stop being God. Jesus doesn't stop being Jesus just because his body was killed. So I'm not, even if you say they were getting the power because Jesus, because Jesus, well, there was still Jesus. So if, if you're saying they were only getting it because Jesus was in bodily form, you know, that, that may be an interesting doctrinal thing to chase. I would be curious to see how many Christians agree with you. That's a, that's a fairly novel idea. Yeah, well, we don't we don't know where Jesus was during the intermittent period, right? It doesn't during matter where days. he was. Does does his power have a limit? If if he's in realm three, then he can't act uh, uh, powerfully on Earth. Yeah, but God. Okay, fine. God took away their powers temporarily until the the coming of the Holy Spirit from Jesus' death till then. 
Okay, so now you're just doing uh, some retcon headcanon, which is fine. Good story. Uh, you know, in internet parlance, cool story, bro. Um, so, okay. I, I guess I can't dispute that. Um, I can I can make up another story that would be better, but now we're just now we're just trading fiction. It's not necessarily fiction. It, it's speculating, and and I'm giving an honest uh, approach as, that's more realistic than what you're giving. I mean, I'm I'm sorry. No, I don't I don't think so. It's not realistic at all that these people had the power to do what they did and saw. And also the promise of Jesus ringing their ears in their ears that you'll be able to do everything that you've seen me do and more. Okay. Now so I don't I don't think they believed it <laughs> because they went into hiding, <laughs> or they went back to their old lives. Even okay, let's let's be charitable to you and say let's pretend they read they maintain their superpowers to raise people from the dead. How would they raise Jesus from the dead? They have to get to close proximity. I mean, Jesus... Well, they could do what the women did. They could go to the tomb. Now, the women actually didn't take it far enough because there's no, uh, there's no story of anyone praying for Jesus at the tomb. The only reason the women went to the tomb, it wasn't for any religious reasons. It was, uh, it was to you know, deal with the body that you know, carry out their dead, death rituals. So they, yep. they, even they weren't being uh, religious. No one was thinking, well, maybe we should just give what Jesus says a try. I mean, Sunday morning, he said that he would be rising Sunday morning. Maybe we should just check it out. Nobody did that, not even the women. That's not what they were there for. Well, maybe, okay, but maybe the males were just more cowardly than the women. They were okay, scared so that's, that if they went there, they would be caught. They would be crucified as well. And that right, sort of, I mean, not, the, not the thoughts of people who had magic cracking through their fingers 24 hours ago. Yeah, but it's Jesus Jesus had magic. They saw him do Jesus had supernatural powers, not magic. Magic is demonic. Well, it's my word. Um, so you can you can call Jesus, it demonic if you Jesus want to. Thought, I don't. That, huh? I you can call it demonic if you want to. I don't. Well, that's the ancient understanding. When you say magic, that's a pejorative term. That it is a pejorative term. Say, I use it. I, I use it disrespectfully. That's true. Correct, but I, I'm not even. I'm using it the way disrespectfully, not in a modern atheist sense, but even back then in ancient times, it, it they thought magic was real, but it was powered by the demons and that sort of thing. So magic, right. ancient. But Roman, I don't think that they would have known the difference between magic from a demon and magic from a god. All they knew is. Through this Jesus person, they had magic. They had superpowers. Now, you didn't like my use of the word superpowers either. So, you know, I'm not sure what word you want me to use, but... Supernatural powers. But but the point is, why would they be afraid if they had supernatural power? Well, they clearly saw that Jesus himself had supernatural powers, and yet he got crucified. So even if they, oh, yeah, I have superpowers, that... That wouldn't necessarily. Yeah, but, but he wanted to be crucified. I don't. I don't think that that doesn't fit with the story we're told either. When Peter cut off the soldier's ear, you remember Jesus told him to bring swords, uh, so that actually fits. So when Jesus uh, cut off the soldier's ear, um, what he saw Jesus do was tell Peter to put away the sword, and he miraculously put the man's ear back on. So. He wasn't thinking that Jesus had lost his power. He just recognized that Jesus wanted to die. 
That's a that's a different story than what you're weaving, though. So maybe based on that, he thought Jesus and God wanted all of them to die. Then they should have been. Then they should have been faithful. Yeah, but they weren't. They were afraid. They were human beings. That Peter shouldn't should never have denied Jesus three times, but he did. Uh, Judas shouldn't have betrayed Jesus, but he did. Um, so yeah, okay. we're dealing with human beings and, that are flawed, yeah, but, but I, I think we are dealing with human beings, but we're not dealing with human beings who were ever anything more than that. Because if you're if you're touched by the magic power, uh, heck, we've got we've got examples of human beings who've died for religious causes with less reason to believe that uh, you know the power was real than what Peter and the apostles had. Okay, so for some people are more stronger willed than others. Um, people are different, but the the fundamental point here we're we're going back and forth on sort of speculations that plausible i was willing to throw this to the audience a long time ago so (laughs) i'm just saying look i'm we're giving plausible speculations as to as to what you know the psychology of of some ancient person is no expert in the world would do this this is impossible to do so you know in a sense it's you can't point to it either way we can just make inferences and our best guesses based on what we have in the text but you know what why didn't peter try to go back and and free jesus or or try to raise jesus from the dead at the the empty tomb we will just even just say a prayer just you know dear god can you can you raise my friend for me yeah, the Bible doesn't record them praying. Uh, nope. First of all, maybe they did during the time. It's just not recorded. But if they didn't, that's possible. That's plausible. Human beings don't think. Like, I, I remember seeing a show where, you know, I always mention this show around Easter time, this AD, the Bible Continues show. And, you know, they this is after Jesus ascends. And they're sitting around in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And, you know, they're, they're getting frustrated. Like, we're waiting here. It's 10 days. What? You know what's taking so long? Why, why is and they can't figure out this whole the whole show is about them trying to figure out how to get the Holy Spirit to come, and then fi- finally um, the daughter of Peter is like, uh, well, think about it this way: if Jesus was here, what would he would do? What would he do? And then he's like, oh, he he would pray. It's like, duh. So like they they didn't think because they've got so much on their mind, they didn't think of the simple answer of praying and then once they did that's when the holy spirit came now that's you know that's just a tv show that's speculation and, and stuff like that but that's well, plausible. It, that's no i think that's silly i think it's silly okay. that the first thing that they didn't do after running for their lives is praying at the very least the very least so yeah they don't this story doesn't read like an authentic story in history, because these characters do not behave the way humans would behave, and I I stand by that. And you haven't told me, you haven't said anything so far that makes me think I'm wrong about that. Yeah, I, I just think you're not being realistic. To humans, do silly things. They do okay, weird. So, so can I can I give a couple of other uh, examples then of why I think this story doesn't read like a piece of history? Uh, I don't know. This yeah. this will this will open the door to some of our pre-show conversation that uh, okay. you were somewhat uncomfortable with. It, so I am uh, I am asking you: shall we shall we go a bit further? Uh, shall I shall I make a case for why I think 
the story of Jesus' resurrection should not be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, we, uh, we would get into uh, what, uh, what would be considered uh, by now very traditional uh, contradictions. And it's very traditional because Christians are, are well aware now of, of this atheist objection. I happen to think that it stands as a strong objection, though. Uh, and Christians have simply gotten good at dismissing it, but I don't think they have gotten very good about explaining it. So those are those are two different things. Um, Christians dismiss contradictions without giving very good explanations. And I would say that legitimate stories don't read like the story that we that we have in the Bible. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention a word verisimilitude, which I've mentioned on the podcast before. It's uh, a literary device. It's just a little detail that you add into the story to make it seem more true. Liars use verisimilitudes all the time when they want to make their story seem more true. Now, to be fair. Uh, historians, truth-tellers, use verisimilitudes too because they actually know true details. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're writing them in and they're not even necessarily putting them in on purpose. It's just one of those little facts that adds truth to the story. So the thing is, when a verisimilitude turns out to be a lie, we have reason to suspect that the story is a lie. When the, ver- when, the ver- when the verisimilitude turns out to be true, an actual true truthy detail, then that might be one point in the case that the story is true. But when, it, when a person is just giving you detail after detail, and you go back and you look at the details that they give to corroborate their story, and those details are false, you have either reason to believe that the story is false or reason to just ignore the story. So maybe it's true or false, but the person is such a liar, there's, there's no re- reason for you to take the story seriously. I would argue that the uh, resurrection story uh, is full of verisimilitudes that are not true and that, and that we can look at and see are not true. And the Christian's number one defense is not even harmonization anymore. I think that a lot of Christians have given up on harmonization. They've just uh, decided, well, those details aren't important. But in fact, those details are important because the only reason those details are in the story at all is to say, you see, this is really true. So uh, as as an introduction to that case, I would just bring up a couple of the verisimilitudes that are in the story that aren't true, or at least we have good reason to believe aren't true because they're, they're contradictory. Uh, so when, uh, when the women went to the tomb uh, to um, put spices in the body to, to do their death rituals, the stone was already rolled away. Or was it? 
or was it? So um, if you'll allow me to read Matthew 28. Let me read a couple of verses out of this. Um, Now after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week. Now, this is Sunday morning. Okay? It's not Saturday night. They were there early. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There's a whole story inside of those words that that we won't get to because it's all speculation. They went to look at the tomb. Um, The other other Gospels uh, give us a lot more detail there, but uh, it's interesting, Matthew's wording. Anyway, verse 2. Suddenly... There was a severe earthquake. Now, let me let me stop and back up here again because this is important. On the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, the women went to look at the tomb, and then suddenly, this happens next, <laughs> there was a severe earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. This is something that happened suddenly after the women came to the tomb. In verse 4, the guards were shaken because, uh, you know, they were were afraid. Verse 5, but the angel said to the women, because the women were already there. They were there. The angel comes, he rolls away the tomb, he sits on the stone, he looks at the women and says, do not be afraid. I, I know you were looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. Now, this presents a, um, a picture of Jesus being resurrected with the stone in place because he's got this magic body and he doesn't need the stone to be moved for, for, for him to go out. He, he just wafts through the mountain or or whatever it is. And the angel dramatically rolls the stone away and shows an empty tomb to the women who are already there. That's how the story reads. Except, Except in the other Gospels, when it doesn't read that way. So in the other Gospels, uh, let's say Mark... Uh, Mary Magdalene and um, the other Mary brought spices. They were going to anoint the uh, body. Um, Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb. Uh, This was when the sun had risen. And they were saying, you know, they were talking to one another. Uh, Who's going to roll away the the stone? Uh, But uh, looky there, when they get there, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. Uh although it was extremely large. Um, And so what we have here is a discrepancy in one of the verisimilitudes. It's unnecessary. Uh, And the reason I say that this seems like a made-up detail is because it doesn't have to be there at all. And the very first chance you get, it's uh, contradicted by the very next writer that comes along. Let Let me just mention one other in this in this same vein, uh, I, I mentioned this to Dale earlier in the uh, before we started podcasting. It's one that I had not seen before or heard before, so I'm uh, kind of interesting to me now. 
uh, in the same reading that I just gave, I uh, think in Mark, yeah, very early, very early in the morning, this is verse 2, uh, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. So sun's already up. That's when they came. In Luke, no, in John uh, 20, verse 1, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. So in one telling, the sun had already risen. In another telling, it was still dark. Now the Christian says, he just waves it away and says, that's this. It's so unimportant. What does it matter whether the sun was up already or whether it was still dark? Well, it matters because someone took the time to put that verisimilitude in there to try to give the story more gravitas, more weight as a true thing. So if they came in the dark, it should be said that they came in the dark. There, sh- there shouldn't be any disagreement about that. If they came when the sun was up, then they came when the sun was up. There's no need to argue about that detail um, if it happened. It's, it's one of those little things that you don't have to put in there at all. But, but they put it in there, and then we hang a lantern on it because it's directly contradicted in the text. So I just mentioned these two. The story of Jesus' resurrection is full of it. Almost every detail of the resurrection has some kind of contradiction attached to it. And usually they're details that, that, you know, in and of themselves probably shouldn't matter. But the reason they matter is because they're verisimilitudes that are where the author is trying to say, look, this is really real. This really happened, you see? It's a little bit like the Matthew 27 story. When, the, when, Jesus, um, when Jesus is crucified, uh, Matthew doesn't aside and says, yeah, and these tombs opened... And these dead people uh, came out of their tombs. And then the, in parenthetically, probably add it later, but they waited um, until Jesus rose again before they actually came out. Um, th- th- it's, a, it's a silly little story, and a lot of Christians just hand wave it away and say, well, it doesn't really matter. But I say it does matter because it was written as a verisimilitude. It was a way of the author hanging a lantern on it and saying, you see, this really happened. This other thing really happened. And so that proves that this thing that I'm talking about really happened. When you have things like that throughout the story, throughout the entire narrative, not just one or two things, but almost every detail, then you are right to either say this never happened or, or you're right to just dismiss it and say this is so full of lies, I, I can't tell what if anything happened. Okay. Um, all right. So, yeah, in the first place, so, so David alluded to, um, I was hesitant about getting into the contradictions. And the reason for that was I, I was actually all for it. I, I did actually ask him yesterday if I should sort of brush up on the research and, and have, provide an answer to any specific things, because I like to be prepared and have thorough answers, um, as opposed to speaking off the cuff. So I, you know, I was under the impression that we weren't going to do that. Um, so that's why I didn't prepare for it. So I'm just going to have to speak as best I can, um, based on the two examples that David gives. Um, but yeah, just be aware. I mean, these alleged contradictions have been around forever people have 
thoroughly answered it on Christian Think Tank, Tecton, you know, Michael Lacona, Lydia McGrew, and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, so the the first one about the sunset. Uh, so, okay, before I, in general, there, there are different ways that Christians can use to answer these sort of things. Number one, they can go for the harmonization route, which I still think is a valid route and does answer, at the very least, some of these contradictions in the crucifixion and resurrection narratives. Um, secondly, there are the Michael, there's the Michael Kona route, you know, the implementation or employing of various literary, ancient literary devices that were acceptable standards can be detected in between some, and account for some of these differences, which are alleged to be contradictions. Um, and then finally, there's no, the number three option where you can just say, okay, well, these are incidental. These are, con in fact, contradictory or errors, but they're incidental. They don't affect the overall gist of the narrative. Um, so in the with the case of the, the darkness, the sunset, um, this, I think, is a heart. You can take the harmonization route. There, there is no difference here or anything like that. It, one is just they're focusing their literary spotlights on something else. So we all know with sunrise, 10 minutes before sunrise, it's completely, it can be completely dark. 10 minutes after it's a completely different story. Uh, it's, it's bright and, and everything like that. Um, so yeah, they're, they're just focusing out. Okay. When they set out, it was dark. Whereas the other gospel saying, you know, it's light by the time they get to the tomb and that sort of thing. So I think that could be harmonized. That's not an issue at all. Um, the second one about the location of the angel with the, the stone. Um, so in Matthew, I think it is, the angel's on the stone and says, come see. Whereas in Mark, he's just uh, in the, you know, in the tomb already. And the, and the women are there and he says, uh, look, you know, see, he's gone. So this is where I would employ a Mike Lacona approach. And they're employing a literary device to to show movement. Matthew is focusing on movement, and that's why you know this is indicated through the words "come see." Uh, so they're outside, and then it's it's saying "come see that the body's gone." And this is employed in various Old Testament texts, like Second Kings chapter six, verse thirteen, um, Psalm forty-six and eight, verse eight. Um, so this this just, is a, just so you know, I'm that wasn't one of my uh, objections. So I've I've actually never heard of that one. So I oh sorry. Okay. My my objection there was that the stone had not been rolled away when the women got there. And they saw the angel, they actually saw the angel come, they moved the stone, the guards saw it, um, and, you know, the angel moves the stone and says, voila, you see, nobody in there. Uh, so, it, you know, another... Um, Another one that I didn't mention that may come closer to what you're talking about is, you know, Jesus is not there uh, when they get there. But on another occasion, uh, on another telling of the story, Jesus is there and he's mistaken as the gardener. Um, now, I, I didn't mention that either, but it was it was really the matter of the stone is rolled away or the stone is not rolled away. It depends on who's telling the story. Right. So, OK. So, so yeah. It could be related to what I'm saying then. It's, it's this time compression event. Um, one of the Gospels is just bypassing that event, but not denying that it actually took place. And they're just going uh, straight into the tomb where the angel appears and says, look, he's gone and that sort of thing. Um, whereas in the other one, it's it's 
displaying this notion of movement and giving the full account as to what happened to the guards and that and that sort of thing because Matthew is the only one that talks about the that focuses on the guards perspective and that sort of thing as well right with the Roman seal and bribing the guards I think that's correct no, I no other think that, so right? which okay. which actually makes me think that Matthew like so many other things made it up well just just because it's only in one gospel doesn't necessarily mean um, there are other there could be valid reasons for that Matthew such as that are relevant to Matthew's audience at the time he's writing the gospel so he focuses his literary spotlight on that one aspect um, so so yeah so that would be so there's the harmonization that I gave there there's the approach of ancient literary devices um, now thirdly let's assume a worst case scenario and say there there actually are some contradictions or, or errors in these texts. Let's pretend Matthew did make up some of this stuff or whatever, and, and this didn't actually occur, or two details contradict each other from gospel to gospel. I can still say, so what? That has no bearing on when they're, those are incidental. They're totally irrelevant as to whether the fundamental, essential story of Jesus resurrecting from the dead and there being an empty tomb is real. But they're, um, but they're not these, incidental as to whether I should believe the story. So I agree with you. I, I'm cutting you off just to just to say I agree with you that none of these details uh, have anything to do with whether the story actually happened. What they have to do is whether I should give a damn about it. And it's it's reasonable when I see these kinds of discrepancies to say, yeah, it looks like the writer's just making stuff up. Under my definition, yeah, that would be reasonable. Uh, anything that's five percent possible or more is reasonable under my definitions of the term. Okay, but but I, I think this gives it, you know, puts it way above five percent because we see evidence of writers making things up. And you know, if you're granting, you know, just as this example that you're giving, that okay, well, maybe they did make some stuff up. Then you then you have to understand what you're granting. What you would be granting then is I have a uh, epistemologically reasonable stance to ignore the story. Um, I don't think you do. Uh, well, uh, look, I, I don't think you can show that it's more probable than not that the resurrection is fake. I, I think the opposite is the case. I think that the essential gist has to be preserved because it's preserved across different forms. It's multiply attested. It, this is a detail that is across all the Gospels. There's no contradiction on the ascent that the tomb was empty uh, or that women followers found the body, found the tomb to be empty. Okay, but this is um, where then we would bring in uh, many other ancient resurrection stories of God-men and say, well, those details uh, may or may not be true, but the essential gist is that uh, they were all resurrected. I don't think we have. It depends which one you're talking about, but we don't All really necessarily have multiple yes, we do. sources that contradict each other and that sort of thing. Again, it, it you know, you're talking. It depends who you're talking about. So I need to know the specifics. And okay, again, I, asked, I would just say yes. uh, this. I didn't. I didn't. I'm not bringing specifics because I know that that's one of the points of contention that I didn't uh, mention any before, so I won't now, but I will just say that anyone can look up resurrection stories from ancient times 
you can you can Google it or Bing it. I actually use Bing and not Google. Um, so you can you can look it up. It's really easy. It doesn't care how it doesn't matter how bad your search engine is. You can find the stories. And uh, the, my point stands. If you're going to say, well, but the gist of the Jesus story, uh, resurrection story, is true, no matter how many details are, are cocked up. I can I can make the same case for every other resurrection story there is. Okay, so the yeah. details are bogus, big deal. The gist is that all these people were God men who rose from the dead. Right, but you need to have comparable evidence for that gist. You, you can't just point to Well, a... we have the stories. And we're talking about whether the stories should be believed or not. Now, you're saying that I should believe the stories despite evidence that there's made-up stuff in the stories. Oh, fine. I am saying that you should believe the other stories, even though there's made-up stuff in those stories. Right. I'm just trying to compare apples to apples. Point, yeah, well, yeah, what's your point? I mean, in terms of the point, I, I wouldn't automatically dismiss a resurrection of whoever you're you're thinking of, whoever you're wanting to insert, Um simply because there are contradictions in the incidental details. So I'm consistent there. Um, if that's what you're trying to get me to say, I, I wouldn't use the fact that there's contradictions to disprove that an actual resurrection took place. Okay, well, that's good. Some Christians do. Once again, you can uh, read discussions and articles on the Internet and, and watch that happen. But what you're, you're taking it a step further than that, though. You're saying we should believe the Jesus story because the gist of these accounts are, uh, are consistent. And so that's that's one step further. I don't think we should believe the Jesus story because the gist is consistent. Uh, there are lots of ancient stories out there with consistent gists. It doesn't matter. Right. So it's I'm saying that there are historic. It fulfills certain historical criteria that okay. historians use. Then that's then you're making a different case. Then and I and I'm happy for you to okay. make that case. But that's a very different case than the one that I was. Uh, expounding on. I was showing that the story itself seems to be made up and there are good reasons for us to reject it and I get, and I made a case for that. Now, what mm. you want to do is make a case that, no, but the resurrection really happened, never mind the story. Great. Uh, let's make that case, but let's not get, get the two arguments confused. That's a separate case. Okay. Um, well, yeah, if you just have a claim, like... You could even point to a claim, a resurrection claim that that's 100% consistent, and that doesn't mean I'm going to believe it. Um, there has to be evidence to warrant believing that story. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't use consistency. I wouldn't necessarily use a 100% consistency in the story um, as proof that it's real, um, and I wouldn't use contradictions or, or provable differences to absolutely rule it out and say, oh, that proves that it didn't happen. But I, I would. Now, I wouldn't own other stories, own other Godman stories. And the reason, uh, so I know that that sounds like a, like a contradiction or uh, on my part, but the reason I can take ancient stories uh, of resurrections and not be so worried about the contradictions is because these are just humans recounting things. 
But when it comes to the Bible, it's supposed to be more than that. This is a book that God inspired. Uh, and it is supposed to be true and accurate. And so it should show the accuracy of supernatural intervention, and it does not. It just reads like every other resurrection myth that's out there. So to be clear, I don't believe in any other resurrection myth. And so I put the Bible in that same category. It certainly does not uh, read with more accuracy than any other story. It has just as many plot holes um, and, and details that are wrong and things that make it look like it's made up. And so uh, when you tell me, oh, but this one's the one true resurrection story inspired by the one true God, then I do get to hold that up to a higher standard. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, we've been over that before. There's the confluency of scripture. It depends which model of divine inspiration you're holding to. And I don't acknowledge or recognize the dictation model. Um, okay, but, I, but as you say, we've been over it and I disagree with you. <laughs> so rather rather than to okay, rehash that sure. argument, I think it's, let, I think it's fair to say that. <laughs> See yeah, other episodes of Skeptics and Seekers if, if you want to rehash that argument, folks. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and but just for the audience. So, yeah, if you agree with David that the dictation model is necessary and it ha and the inerrancy of Scripture has to be totally inerrant, then, yeah, if you can prove that is the case and then you can prove a contradiction even in these incidental details, uh, then, boom, you have a reason to reject the resurrection. Um, but if you agree with most biblical scholars and, and experts and Christian apologists that that's not the case. Um, and uh, there are other valid models of inspiration, divine inspiration that can include and incorporate various uh, errors in the Bible, then yeah, it's, it's not going to be an issue. You'll just look at the historical evidence and whether that warrants the claim for the resurrection or not. Sure. Before you go there, uh, you mentioned the dictation model, and I just want to make sure that people understand what you're talking about when you say the dictation model. That would be the idea that through some form, God gave the words directly to the people who would write them. Now, I do believe in the dictation model of inspiration uh, as, as I understand the doctrine of Christianity. And when I was a Christian, I would have uh, accepted that. And I believe that every Christian believes in the dictation model, uh, or most of them as well, on, to some degree. Because yeah. Moses, for instance, could not have written the pen, most of the Pentateuch because he wasn't there. The only way he could have known some of the details is for God to have dictated them to him. There are a lot of things like that where you have the invisible narration going on in narrative stories. Either people are just making up details or God dictated to them what happened in, in places and areas where the author could not have been. So there is good reason to at least partially believe the dictation model. It's not as ridiculous as Dale wants to just dismiss it as. It is if you're doing it in total. But yes, there are occasions where God uses the dictation model. Um, not necessarily always the case where the skeptic wants, oh, well, they couldn't have known these details. A lot of times this is just 
their lack of imagination. I mean, some of the differences, you know, we had Lydia McGrew on, she talks about undesigned coincidences, um, about how would people have any clue about what's going on in Herod's court? Oh, but then another gospel is different than the other gospel and tells it and supplies the information. Joanna's husband was the household manager. Uh, that's how they found out about Herod and that sort of thing. Or what about with Moses knowing about distant events in the past or that sort of thing? Did God have to reveal that to him? Not necessarily. There was sources. They, they, they even mentioned certain sources that are just lost to us today, but the Bible quotes from or addresses um, and that sort of thing. So they could have also had sources. That's how they would have known about certain events and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, I, I think we need to be careful about just assuming, oh, this has to be dictation here because of X, Y, or Z. Um, yeah, try to try to be careful about that. Now, but there are explicit Bible verses that, like the Ten Commandments, are explicitly a dictation model that has to be recognized. But Overall, in terms of scripture, it is a supervisory model is what I believe. So, yeah, that's my, that's what I go with. All right. I just, I just wanted to clarify that because it was, it was tossed out and run over a bit too quickly. You were about to go on to, to something more substantive, I think. Okay. More substantive. Um, uh, I think I'm, so. I'm hoping so because I don't find any of your uh, objections substantive. But I I did interrupt you, <laughs> and so some some myths you're saying oh there's countless resurrection myths in the in the I didn't say ancient. resurrection myths I said resurrection stories you said myths well you did say the word myth I remember that did I um, okay yeah but anyways it doesn't matter. Um, so this actually is not the case in the ancient world. I think there are a handful, maybe about three or four ones that are questionable that could be, um, and that sort of thing. But yeah, the, the vast majority of them are not resurrection myth, resurrection stories or myths. Um, a case in point is Romulus or Hercules. You know, these are often pointed to and that sort of thing. Now, I think this is going to perhaps bring out a difference that I don't know if we want to get down into, but what does it mean for Jesus to be resurrected? Are, are you comparing this to some sort of ascension and that's all that happened or a spiritual resurrection versus a, a bodily one? I, I don't know if you're... Well, I wasn't, I wasn't going to go there, but I was going to add to my case in case you pushed me to it, but you okay. didn't. So I've got this whole whole thing that I... <laughs> I'm not talking what about. Is, well, so um, it was. It's the fact that the story doesn't even read like the most impressive resurrection story in the Bible. Almost every other resurrection story in the Bible is more impressive than Jesus' resurrection, and the reason is because with every other resurrection story, we are given to understand anyway. There were people who. Uh, were there to see the person die, uh, to see the person uh, buried, if, if it was a case where they were buried, and they saw the person rise. Zero people saw Jesus' death, burial, or resurrection. This is one of those stories where all of the facts in the case are hidden behind a shroud. So, case in point... The, the apostles weren't there to see the death of Jesus. They all scattered. 
uh, I want to say um, Matthew 26 here. Um, the women, you say, well, you know, they were there, but they they were there from a distance. So uh, the Bible says, you know, they they looked upon these things uh, from a distance. So I don't know how far of a distance we're talking about and how good their uh, eyesight was, but they wouldn't have necessarily known uh, when Jesus died. They didn't seem to be there at the moment of his death. Uh, so they they did see some part of the crucifixion, but we don't have any account that anyone actually saw his death uh, and confirm his death. The apostles nor the women were there to take charge of the body. That was uh, that was some other dude. Joseph of Arimathea uh, came to take charge of the body. So even none of the the followers are there. So I would contend that nobody uh, of record was witness to his death. What about his burial? Well, uh, so we uh, assume that Joseph, uh, you know, just giving the story credence, I don't think there was a Joseph, I don't think there was a tomb or a burial at all, uh, but none of the disciples were around to see it. So they, they did not see a dead body go in a tomb, uh, as near as we can tell. When the women came, they came early that morning, they were there in time, but apparently Jesus was already gone, so nobody saw the act of him rise either. So these are lousy witnesses. Uh, the, the, what did they actually witness? They didn't witness either of the three events that, um, that Christians talk about, Jesus' death, burial, or resurrection. Okay, um, so you say that they were at a distance. How many meters does the Bible say they were away? Doesn't. Does it doesn't does it specify it doesn't no okay so they could have been close enough they could have, they could have been with within arm's reach but i would say that if that's the case then the then the bible authors are just bad writers or liars uh because it describes them distant <laughs> not close does up in in does it say that they were always distant, or could that have changed over time? Sure, we can we can head canon any of that, but the Bible doesn't give us that. The closest thing the Bible the closest thing the Bible does is gives us uh, Jesus talking to his mother. There, I was trying to okay. Okay. Oh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, okay, uh, so yeah, go go ahead. Uh, the the Bible does tell us. There was a male there, the beloved disciple. Yeah, let's call him Lazarus, uh, because that's that's who uh, most newer scholars tend to think it was. So, yeah, Mary and Lazarus, uh, they're there, and Jesus well, says... controversial, right? Okay, well, okay. I won't that. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a minor point, but that's a scholarly opinion, so I'm yes. just putting it out there. Yep. Um, also, I, I think it's a better opinion than that it was John. So uh, it, it, Lazarus is the only person that Jesus actually called uh, a beloved disciple. And then John is the only guy who actually uses that term talking about what seems to be someone else. So it, it almost couldn't be John if we're just reading the literature and not reading into it. That said, um, uh, mother of Jesus and Lazarus there. And uh, Jesus says, okay, um, Lazarus, I want you to take care of my mom. That's basically the, the speech of uh, behold your son, uh, disciple, behold your mother, that kind of thing. That's, that's what's going on there, a passing of the responsibility. you got to take care of the old lady for me. Um, Jesus is still alive. 
then. Jesus, Jesus is not dead then. And so, once again, when it comes to the, the matter of the crucifixion, we have um, the account of all of the disciples uh, scattered and the women at a distance. So, yeah, can, is, it, is it possible to tell that story in headcanon in a way to say, well, but they all came near at the end? Sure, you can. That's just, that's just not the natural reading of the story. But I, but I grant it, that's another detail we could put in the controversy, the, the contradiction pool, if you like. <laughs> I think it's harm, harmonizable there. Um, and even with the distance, again, you have no idea. They could have heard every word. It, I mean, it's depicted lots of times as to what the distance could mean. It could not mean, it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, they're like a mile away just looking at it from the hilltop. Um, or from the city gates or something like that. That's how I envision it. Yeah, That's how I envision it when I read the story, but that's how I envisioned it as a Christian. This is not skeptical, David, just trying to make the story look bad. That's how it naturally reads. So it's headcanon. You had false headcanon as a Christian and false headcanon as a skeptic. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, But we're we're talking about the natural reading of the story, and if the story is so badly written, that you can't understand what it's talking about. Well, I, you know, I will add that to another reason why I'm justified in, in ignoring the resurrection story. Okay. Well, yeah, I suggest the vast majority of Christians have no problem reading that. They don't, of course not, because they're they're busy trying to make crap up so that it makes sense to them. That's why they don't have any problem with it. Uh, they don't they don't think about these details. Christians don't even know the details. What are you talking about? They, they, barely, they barely read their Bible. But the ones who do, do have problems with this stuff. Uh, at least a lot of them do. Uh, so, I, so I mentioned there's nobody there definitively to see the actual moment and confirm the death of Jesus. Even if they're there at a distance, none of them are doctors, none of them are confirming Jesus' body. I don't get the sense that anyone's close enough there uh, to say, okay, is he actually dead, or did he just uh, did he uh, faint here? Um, you know, because that's a real possibility. The man's been uh, tortured. Uh, he's been holding himself up, and uh, he loses consciousness for a little bit. Okay, so let's let's flip it around. G- David's claiming a contradiction or a problem here. He can't prove that it actually is. He has no. Idea. He can't prove they weren't actually close up and didn't see Jesus die. Um, People were in antiquity. People were well acquainted with death. They knew enough to know, okay, that guy's dead or not. In ninety-nine percent of cases, well, would they have known that from a distance? I don't think so. So I that's, just said that, you can't prove they're from a distance. Well, that, I can prove it no. from a distance, and that the Bible says they were the only ones that were there were, uh, at the time were at a distance. So I can, yeah, I can't prove that the writer's telling the truth, but I can prove that the Bible says that. Yes, um, but you can't prove that they weren't close up enough at the time of his death. That's that's the point that we're arguing about, okay. right? Yeah, I, I, and, I'll, I'll grant it. Uh, I can't prove that, but if they were close enough to be able to confirm that, then I think that the, the writing is extremely bad uh, to say that they were at a distance. So, um, I, 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 so grant, I grant that it that that could be the case, but it, it could easily be as I describe it. So we can't really make any headway with that. Can you make any headway with nobody was there to see him buried? 
Wait, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm just saying we can put things together. These are undesigned coincidences, uh, as Lydia McGrew, that prove it's actually true because we can put things together. Obviously, you admit going from the Bible and the way that you're doing, they were close enough to Jesus to actually have a conversation with him. At one at point. At one point. It's, it seems very ad hoc to me if you're going to say, oh, they went close enough to hear that. Could you say that then they went back, walking back a mile back to the city gates right after he said that? I mean, that's just ridiculous. That's not what would have happened. So if, if we're going to grant and take Bible account literally that they were at a distance um, at one time, that doesn't mean that they're at a distance at the time of Jesus' death. Obviously, we know from the Bible they were well, close enough to speak. Okay, with so part of, part of this though comes from Christian apologists themselves. So if you if you actually take the time to read what Christian apologists say about this, which I did, uh, I spent some time this morning, in fact, probably 30 minutes reading on, on this subject, uh, there was an apologetic reason uh, that I haven't mentioned given. Now, I didn't think that I needed to give that because I figured you would be familiar with the uh, apologist take. And there, there are many apologist takes, I guess, and so maybe you're not familiar with this one, but the apologist that I read made a case for why Jesus was alone at the time of his death and why it had to be that way. In fact, I read a whole sermon this morning about why, why it was important that Jesus was alone at the time of his death and suffering, uh, you know, this, this solitude was a part of the suffering that he was with. His friends were not there uh, at, the, at the time that he most needed someone there. So this is, this is not just my headcanon. You can say that it's headcanon, but I get this from apologists, from Christian apologists. Yeah, so, so I do agree with the Christians and what they're saying, but you're manipulating what they're saying. They're saying that all of his male disciples, with the exception of the beloved disciple, abandoned him and ran away, right? This, we, we had a discussion about that today, but that doesn't mean he was totally abandoned. The women were there, and the beloved disciple was there. But I'm telling you, the apologist cases that I read just this morning, just, just to brush up on it, was that he was abandoned by all. And by the way, the female disciples were still disciples. And so it, the, the, to say that he was abandoned but not by all the disciples, but Lazarus would have been a disciple too. He wasn't one of the 12, he was still a disciple. He was abandoned by all of the disciples. Uh, and this is a theological thing. They also, <laughs> I'm sure that you will appreciate this, they cite prophecy. Um, for this, that Jesus, uh, of course, had to have been completely abandoned because prophecy says so. Uh, so, uh, right. So can you say, well, maybe he wasn't completely abandoned? Yes, you can, but you are not, in fact, um, in keeping with uh, mainstream theology when you say that. Oh, no, I'm with mainstream. Uh, anyways, who, who is this? Is this Matt Slick on Carl? No. Making this, who who's the scholar or I, the Christian? I would have to go back. I could I could put a link in the. Um, I would like that. I would uh, like to notes, or at least or at least send you send send it to you back channel. But yeah, this is. By the way, this isn't something that just that I just 
discover today, I've been, I've, been, you know, I've been in the church for a while, for most of my life. This is something that I've heard taught and have taught for um, all of my life. This is not some strange doctrine. So you, you actually have to make a harder, more contorted case uh, that uh, disciples were actually with Jesus at the time he died than the other way around. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so... I will admit, I'm, and I'm well-versed in resurrection apologetics, I'm not familiar with this argument that you're talking about, so that's why I want to see the source as to what you're saying. My, my hunch is you're slightly twi- tweaking or twisting it to make it, but I haven't seen it, so I can't assume anything. So yeah, let me just read. There, I might agree with what he's saying depending on what he's actually meaning by Jesus being abandoned and that sort of thing. If it's a literalistic, the women weren't at the cross at all and they just left and went back to their homes and the beloved disciple wasn't there, that's complete rubbish. But yeah, we'll, we'll see what he says. I, I can't assume until I read the specific article. So yeah, uh, put, put that up and I'll check it out. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm trying to go back through my history now, even as we're talking so that I could just, shoot you a link but i'll uh i'll i'll do that if i uh, remember uh but yeah that's so that's a part of my argument now i'm not saying that it's uh, not disputable um i think everything in the bible is disputable <laughs> so i'm i'm going to be the last one to you know stand and die on a hill of what the bible clearly said and meant <laughs> by something i think you know i i'm the guy who just did a six part series on why you shouldn't care about what the Bible says. Um, and this is the kind of thing that's a part of it. So, sure, can you can you make a case that Jesus wasn't alone when he died, wasn't abandoned by his disciples? Sure you can, but that's, that's just a contradiction of another uh, part of the Bible where it says he was. And if we go beyond the Bible and just try to exegete the scriptures as best we can as honest readers of the book, can you come up with uh, the idea that he was abandoned? Yes, you can. Can you come up with the idea that he wasn't abandoned? Yes, you can. I'm not going to overly argue which one of us is right. Uh, The fact that we both have a point suggests that the Bible is crap. Mm -hmm. Okay. um, Yeah, like I said, uh, we don't need to make an issue of it, Um, but just like I'm a real seeker. So this, I want to see what, how this Christian provides his case. Like I, I, I suspect there's some kind of tweak that's not right. Not like there's some truth to what you're saying, but it's not, he's not arguing exactly what you're saying, but yeah, I, again, I need to see it. So uh, maybe he is saying exactly what you're saying and I would just be okay. okay but you, guy's but you keep but, saying he, as if there was only one person who's ever said this. This is not a singular event, <laughs> so I don't I don't think you are as familiar with resurrection uh, lore as you think you are if you've never heard this. Um, well, again, um, I'm quite familiar with mainstream biblical scholarship on the resurrection, so yeah, this is not a mainstream view. Um, it's not a mainstream view because you haven't heard it. Really? Do you know how arrogant that sounds? No, because I follow the mainstream of the societal of biblical literature. The majority of biblical scholars would not say this, regardless of their persuasion. But, like I said, 
stop trying to belittle me. I'm being open. I'm not just trying to belittle dirt. you. I'm just I'm trying to respond to the idea that because you haven't heard it, it's not mainstream Christianity. That's bullshit. I didn't say that. I that said is, that is exactly what you said. How many scholars in the Society of Biblical Literature believe this? You've done the research. I haven't. I'm totally ignorant, right? So, how many I, scholars? I have no idea. Of, of a particular society, how many scholars believe what? I'm telling you what preachers have been preaching for ages. Now, I don't, I don't know, you know, maybe you don't have enough church experience to know what uh, many preachers preach, but I do. And I can tell you that I have heard this for years. I was in uh, when yeah, when I did and when I excuse me when I did when I did my research this morning. It was it was more than one person providing this. This wasn't just some some random guy on the internet. So yeah, you don't you are not as well versed uh, as you think you are. Point in fact, because you don't know of this doctrine. Now, I'm not making it up. I'll be glad to put it in the um, notes, like I said. Yeah. But it's 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 irrelevant that you don't know. The world is full of things you don't know. That's not what I said. I said I know. What biblical scholarship says on this I know what many preachers teach about this yes there's an element where they teach Jesus was abandoned um, but that doesn't mean totally he was abandoned by God why are you forsaking me that sort of thing he was abandoned totally abandoned by his friends his male main 12 disciples um, but yeah it's like I said I don't want to speak too arrogantly until I've read exactly what you've what you're talking about. Okay, so. so let's let's leave let's let that sit there and see if we can make some progress with the next claim that I made, which is what I tried to do 20 minutes ago. I because I don't just claim that there is no one there at least definitively to see the death but also the burial and the resurrection. And with all of the other miracle stories, uh, we have at least some of these components uh, verified in the story. People were there to see the person die, or they were there to see the person buried, or they were there to see the person rise, or some uh, some uh, combination of all three, two of them or three of them. But in Jesus' story, we don't have any verification of either one of those most important facts. That's the, that's the argument that I made, and um, you're not you're not going a long ways to counter that. Right. Well, we were focusing on the crucifixion first. Um, so in terms of resurrection, uh, yeah, and there was no human beings present in the tomb when Jesus rose from, at the moment Jesus rose from the dead to witness it. Um, but there were people afterwards that saw his resurrected body. So it's a logical inference to say, yeah, uh, he rose from the dead, even though I didn't witness the actual supernatural event itself. I can clearly see he was dead, and uh, and or for the male apostles that w I was told he was dead, and by trustworthy eyewitnesses, the women and the beloved disciple. Well, how did the women suddenly become trustworthy eyewitnesses? Because the Christian claim is that women were not trustworthy eyewitnesses. Now, in your case, they are trustworthy eyewitnesses. I can't keep up. Okay, so the men trusted them, I guess, because... In part, there was an inference. They knew Jesus was being crucified by Pontius Pilate. Um, you know, they knew he got into trouble and would be killed. Um, so, and that's not an extraordinary or supernatural event. Um, so I guess they were more accepting of their 
their female disciples who they were friends with and, and had gone along with for but, years but, and that's sort of thing. Okay, Whereas, but let's review. These male disciples didn't see him dying. They didn't see him buried and they didn't see him rise. But they are called witnesses to his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, they, quote-unquote, saw him after all of that. But they can't verify that any of the prior things happened. Now, one of the arguments, um, you know, that their testimony is so much better than, say, the testimony of uh, some of the other people who, who have died for religious causes is that these guys knew it was true because they saw the critical events. And I'm saying they didn't see the critical events. Mm-hmm. Uh so they don't they don't have any more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead uh than uh, you know the the um uh assassins the the terrorists who fly planes in the buildings uh the, the disciples didn't what? see crap they they saw a guy that they knew that they heard had died but they didn't see they weren't a witness to any miraculous events um, well, I, I wouldn't go that far. They they were on the other end with the resurrection. They were eyewitnesses. But it's not a resurrection if there's not a death. Let's go back to the empty tomb just for a second, because I know mm. that Christians make hay of the empty tomb. I want to give Gary Habermas credit for letting the empty tomb go in his arguments, because he knows it's a little bit weak. It's not um, a facts approach. He doesn't think it's weak, but he recognizes that the... He out of his two, he doesn't have a scholarly consensus to say it's a min. It qualifies as a minimal fact, which is what I mean by weak. So, um, but so, but I'm, but I'm giving him credit for that, and yeah. and the reason why is no one saw him buried in the tomb. So if no one sees Jesus buried in the tomb, and then you go to a tomb and the stones already rolled away, and say, voila, it's empty. That's not a miracle. It's, it's not anything to be believed at all. I mean, okay, so you showed me this tomb and it's empty. I can show you an empty tomb now. Um, that doesn't mean that it was ever occupied by a dead body. So, so you, can, you can say the disciples, yeah, they saw the empty tomb. So what? They, ne- they never saw a full tomb. It doesn't, okay, so, so yes, I was about to say it doesn't, the empty tomb stuff doesn't matter. It's the same same point as the resurrection. You you're making a good point that the male disciples were not eyewitnesses to Jesus' death, um, with the exception of the beloved disciple or his uh, burial in the tomb. They were witnesses, though, after the fact of the glorious resurrection because they saw supernatural events: Jesus appearing, disappearing, going through walls. Uh, they saw the crucifixion wounds. Thomas touched those those wounds. So, in effect, they could be claimed to be witnesses that, yeah, we know, we saw Jesus clearly did die. I've seen know, crucifixion like, wounds. Yeah. There, there are people who uh, seem to be able to manifest the stigmata. So, what? I don't think... See, they, would... they, didn't, they didn't see... If you say, well, you know, they saw the wounds and therefore they knew, I can show you wounds today. There are people who can show you wounds. So what? That doesn't mean that doesn't mean that someone died. There are people who go through crucifixions for real, um, and they do it every year. They get hung up on crosses or stakes in um, um, 
you know, out of out of uh, an act of worship, or I, I would say mental illness. But um, mm-hmm. Randall Randall Rouser would probably take exception to that because he says I call Christians crazy all the time. But honestly, you're getting voluntarily hung up on a cross out of a. Yeah, I think that's crazy. I think that is crazy. I agree. With okay, like, but but people do that all the time. They don't. They're not dead from it. So if you say, well, you know, the, the apostles, they saw this guy, you know, after the fact, and he had some wounds, they still weren't witness to a death, burial, or resurrection. So the wounds were consistent with an ancient crucifixion, which was no joke. Um, this isn't just, I, I have no idea how they crucify in the Philippines. I, I assume there's some technique that would not cause them to have lasting damage no it's not no i don't i think you're i think you're taking away from them unfairly here it took days for a person in ancient rome uh, rome to die from a crucifixion the whole point of crucifixion wasn't to kill someone quickly that's a that's a lousy way to kill someone quickly it was to kill someone slowly so in order to get uh these people dead by you know, their religious holy day, they had to go around and break the legs of these people. Otherwise, they'd have been on the cross for days. Right. So, so again, I need to finish my point. Um, okay. And he also had the spear wound in the side, which was a mortal blow. Everyone would have known that proves he would have died. Um, and Thomas put his hand in it. He touched it and put it in. So it was, it was all real. Um, so, yeah, the... These wounds combined with the fact, so if you're going to say, oh, well, he could have had these wounds and it could have been a swoon theory, I, I'm surprised you're taking that seriously. Well, but, look, okay, I, there, I don't, there is I don't, much, I don't much care for the swoon theory based on the story. So just just so you know, I'm not, I am not, I know that Tara, yes, I've invoked the name. I know that Tara uh, supports a swoon theory. And I know that some Muslims do. But, you know, if I'm just being true to the story, I don't support uh, a swoon theory it doesn't make sense but there are even even inside of the context of the story there are other possibilities but you know this okay. the swoon theory is still a thing that's out there as a possibility it, it's not debunked it's just not my favorite uh, alternative okay um okay so if you're not advocating that then i guess i don't know what to, that i was gonna debunk it but yeah if you don't advocate for that then i don't think you can debunk it I, like I said, I don't think it's debunked. It's just not my favorite alternative. Uh, so if you want to, if you want to try to debunk it, I'm, <laughs> I might actually try to defend it. Do you, Do you think that it's an improbable uh, explanation? The swoon theory? Yes. Yeah, I think it's improbable. Okay. Okay. Uh, but I but I don't my, my, but I don't believe it's impossible. So you don't you don't debunk things by saying it's improbable. Okay. Well, I, I consider that debunking it but yeah so if you mean by debunking proving it's impossible of course not um i I don't know if i could prove that it's impossible i would never make that claim um all right so but yeah i'll just throw it out here here's a consideration so you know against df strauss and and that sort of thing df strauss raises a great answer against this um but it's, yeah, even if we give the benefit of the doubt to, to the naturalistic swoon theory, Jesus would not have convinced the disciples that he's back in a glorious resurrection body and that he was the first fruits of the resurrection, general resurrection of God, uh, ushering in the new messianic era. Instead, it would be, you know, he would be 
dying essentially from from his wounds as depicted in the gospels they would run to get a doctor and, and try to get medical help for him and that sort of thing so yeah i think okay. i think df strauss has really given a conclusive blow even giving all of the benefit of the doubt against so med- wrong <laughs> so wrong <laughs> I, I will be happy to argue against strauss and you um um so like i said i don't think that the swoon theory is the best theory we have even as a skeptic trying to take the details of the story literally which i i am a skeptic but i don't take the details of the story literally so i i actually think that this type of uh discussion is just just kind of silly but but fun but so okay Uh, I i won't respond but if if you could incorporate uh for the audience sake why you actually think it's improbable yourself uh, is it like the medical modern medical angle, or do you have some other reason? If you don't, no, if you don't find Diaz Strauss, that's it, great. It's it's about it's it's about the literary, um, it's about the the story oh. we're given, right? Oh. So we can we can play around with the story we're given, but we can't throw the story we're given away and make up a new story. So that's that's kind of the the rules that I'm working with. So I'm I'm trying to stay as true as I can to the story we're given, uh, rather than rewriting. I think that the swoon theory uh, requires a little bit too much of a rewrite for me. So I object to it not on the grounds uh, that it's physically impossible or even unlikely. Probably is very physically likely. It's just not true to the story, and because I don't think any part of the story is true. The best I can do is stay true to the story and and work from there. So what the story gives us uh, is a Jesus who was tortured very badly, and he died. However, giving the the swoon theory a little bit of uh, room here, he wasn't that badly tortured. (laughs) He wasn't that bad off because... Uh, you know, as you point out, he's having these conversations on the cross. Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make it sound like he's having these gagging. Uh, today, you will be with me in paradise. That's not. That's not the image we get, is it? Uh, this is a very confident Jesus. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Um, that's how we re- read the story, because that's how the writer wanted us to read the story. Um, so uh, if, if you say, well, no, Jesus would have been too beat up uh, at, at this point for the swoon theory to make sense. They would have been calling a doctor and so forth. No, the, the Jesus who's on the cross and is chatting it up with everyone in John uh, seems to be a guy who's in pretty good shape for a guy on a cross. So um, I, I, I somewhat reject the the idea that he could not have swooned and that he would have been in such bad shape that people would have thought he was some kind of zombie. I don't. That's not how the writers wrote it. So if you're gonna if you're gonna get this beat up, bedraggled Jesus, I think that you are in fact the one who's going a bit beyond the literary material to say that you're going outside of the literature and going into history and saying yeah but we know that people who are crucified are in worse shape than this well but the writers apparently didn't because they wrote a jesus that was in pretty good shape 
Um, beyond that, um, so Jesus comes back and you say, well, you know, it wouldn't have impressed the disciples if um, his body was all beat up and he was in bad shape. But uh, frankly, it shouldn't have impressed the disciples when he showed them uh, his death wounds. Because if I'm one of the disciples there and Jesus is trying to say, you see, I'm, I'm Jesus, and more than that, I'm God, and I've got this new risen body. Just look and see my death wounds. I, I would have ran screaming out of the room. I don't know what you're talking about. That's, that's not something that I want. I'm thinking this is, what, <laughs> this is what we were going for, this body with death wounds. I'm glad they didn't behead you. I'm glad you weren't burned in a fire. Um, that's not a very convincing thing at all. Um, if I can just touch on the literature just briefly, one of the reasons I would say that this story uh, of Jesus coming back and showing his death wounds is just a literary device that's that's not a piece of history. Jesus comes back and he shows them um, the holes in his hands and also in his side to, to prove that he's really the guy except none of the disciples were there. They would have never seen the puncture in his side. So that's not a normal part of crucifixion. They wouldn't have seen it. It wouldn't have been proof of anything to them. This is just the writer showing us the audience because we saw it. But the disciples didn't see it. So there's, uh, that, that is actually a strange thing to write as proof uh, for people who never saw it. No, what we, what we get is a peek into the writer's Creativity. He's talking to us as the narrator to something that he knows that we saw. It reads like a story, not like history. Okay. All right. Thanks for yeah. Thanks for giving your take. As I said, I wouldn't respond to that. I just you wanna... can. It's okay. The people pay their money to to to, to get the full deal. You uh, you know that Darren Loot is anxiously waiting your response. Don't cheat Darren out of his money. Uh, so, so, uh, so, okay. Jeez, Saturday <laughs> morning. Um, I don't remember what you said. I was, sorry, I was zoning out while you were talking. That's fine. Um, so the literary angle, okay, that's interesting. I, I heard that. Um, so, uh, sorry, so, yeah, so yeah. that's okay. You don't, you don't have to. They'll, They'll remind you in the forums. So, my favorite theory, uh, actually, if I were if I were coming up with a theory that fits the story better, it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't be the swoon theory. It would be the theory that they crucified the wrong guy. I would I would go uh, substitution theory. The sub yeah, I would go with the substitution theory. And in fact, or well, let me let me give you two theories. Because they're similar. So the substitution theory is one of them. Um, And the the reason the Bible leaves the door open for the substitution theory is because in in most unlikely turn of events, the people who were going after Jesus didn't know what he looked like. So the reason I say it's unlikely is because Jesus is supposed to be this rock star with huge followings and people people are reporting back to the Jewish leaders about what Jesus said. And then you got some people in the council who actually uh, uh, had some dealings with Jesus. I mean, Jesus was a known quantity. And yet when it's time to crucify him, nobody knows what he looks like. And so you got to cock up this story of uh, Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss so that uh, they would know who to capture. Well, that's just stupid because every other time they know exactly who Jesus was. 
He was, he was at the temple. He was at their house for much of his ministry, and he was arguing with them in person. But but all of a sudden, they don't they don't know who he is. So I I think once again, this is just a plot device that's written that it, sloppily that doesn't make any sense. Uh, but it opens up the door to the substitution theory. Uh, because now we've got a possibility that they picked up the wrong guy. You know, maybe maybe Judas, um, you know, in a in a last moment of regret, goes and kisses the wrong guy, uh, so that Jesus gets off the hook. Uh, so that's that's one of the things that could um, happen there. The the other possibility, the one that I. Uh, I like even better than that, although now that I'm saying it, I'm kind of warming to this theme. Um, but the other possibility is that Jesus did die, and he stayed dead. But another one of his apostles, or disciples, uh, picked up the mantle, uh, and it became a dread pirate Roberts type thing. Uh, so, yeah, old Jesus is dead, meet the new Jesus. Okay, he doesn't sound exactly like the other guy. He doesn't look exactly like the other guy. But maybe they could explain it because, you know, his first appearance, it was dark, right? No one, no one could get a good look at him. It didn't seem like himself. And it was only after that conversation on the road to Emmaus uh, where the disciples, uh, you know, after, after this quote-unquote Jesus left them, where, where they said, Did, wasn't it, was that him? <laughs> you know, they kind of talked themselves into believing it was him. They didn't recognize him. And then, you know, the women who probably knew him even better uh, when, you know, one occasion where the story says that they, they saw him and thought he was a gardener. They've been with him all of this time. They've, they've been away from him for a total of less than three days, what we might think of as two and a half days. And suddenly they're mistaking him for the gardener? That doesn't make any sense. The only reason they could mistake him from the, for the gardener uh, and they're looking at him and talking to him is, is because he didn't, look like, he didn't look like the guy they knew, didn't sound like the guy they knew. So he's, he's another guy who kind of takes up the mantle. And he didn't, have to, he didn't have to prove it for very long. He only had to do it for a few hours and then say, okay, I'm up out of here. Keep up the good work, guys. Uh, and then the Jesus ministry continues. So that's that is a, the, uh, a a theory that I would propose that fits with the details of the story. And what do you make of uh, all the answers to that? Like, for example, you know, you say Mary Magdalene mistook him for the gardener uh, in the tomb. That could be because her vision was obscured. She was crying so much she she didn't get totally up close um, until he said her name. Then she recognize the well, voice. Okay, but she saw that he was dead uh, from a distance a while ago. Now her vision's bad. Um, pick one. I, I didn't... I said obscured by that. Oh, but she wasn't you know, crying while he was being crucified? <laughs> pick one. <laughs> no, but I'm saying if she was in the tomb, there could have been reasons from the sunlight shining in, right? You, you get the silhouette. Well, that. the sunlight. It was dark. Oh wait a minute! The sun was up. Never mind. Pick one. <laughs> it's the way that the sunlight operates when you're in the field versus a dark place. Or they could have been where Jesus could have been wearing a 
thing covering up part of his face. Well, of course, I mean, of course, the uh, the death person. hoodie. Of course, he was. <laughs> you, what? What is ridiculous about that? This happened. I mean, you you, you just reject. You laugh at it because then your skeptical buddies go, "Ha ha!" That is that's hilarious. So he's he's, PhD, he's walking like, around. And he's got something obscuring his face because, of course, you would when you rise from the Why grave. Not? You're wearing the death hoodie. <laughs> it's not about a death hoodie. I don't know what the heck. He could have been wearing any kind of shawl or something to obscure his face. Where did or he get the clothes? He was supernatural. Where did he obs- get the clothes? I'm sorry. You, 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 you rose from the dead. You don't think he could get clothes? You think he was just walking around naked when Mary saw him? I don't know. So, so I'm just trying to figure out why he would be wearing a hoodie to obscure his face. What? Oh, why? Well, as, as to why? Like, this is there could be any number of reasons as to why. But the, here's the the Amos disciples is the more problematic one because they're right up close. There's nothing obscuring their vision, yet they don't see uh, that it's Jesus until afterwards. Now, I, I don't necessarily think that this is. I have doubts as to whether this is a historical narrative or not. I, I, I think that you can make the case that it is actually historical. Um, so let's operate on that basis. Why would Jesus supernaturally obscure them? And, you know, there could have been any number of reasons. He, he seems to like to sort of play with them. You know, he's like, oh, who, who is this Jesus person that you're talking about? Oh, yeah, he was, he was a real scream. Good, good joke, G. G- God has a yeah. God has a sense of humor, right? And God okay. uses it. Um, I to, tell I, I tell when, some of my best jokes at funerals. <laughs> it really knocks them dead. <laughs> it's it's so what what would be the point? Why would Jesus do this? Jesus um, is a dick. I mean, the the Jesus no, you're describing. There's, a, is, there's an object lesson. That, um, in terms of why he's playing this, right? And it's something that skeptical scholars do, and they try to say, oh, this proves the Eucharist and, and, and that sort of thing. I, I don't go that far, but I think that it's, it's trying to say, look, you, you may not see me, but I'm here. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm with you. For, this is for Christians. You know, Jesus has ascended. He's not physically present with you anymore, but he's still there. Uh, this is the message that the that I get that I think the Amos disciples tell, and why Jesus is obscuring himself um, supernaturally to these Amos disciples. Um, he's, you know, they're sitting there face to face, and they don't recognize the guy right. because, he, because he doesn't. So my the natural explanation is because he doesn't look like the guy that they uh, saw a few days ago. Um, but you know, let's, let's do the next one because I think the next one's more fun, which is, uh, he appears to the 11 because Thomas wasn't there the first time he shows up and they're afraid and they don't seem to accept who he is until he shows them death wounds. So, you know, a thing that Christians don't know because they don't read their Bibles is, uh, that Thomas wasn't the only one who saw the wounds. The other guys did too. All Thomas was saying is, "I want to see the same evidence that you saw." So that's that's that story. Uh, but that said, the other guys saw it too, and I would ask, "Well, why did they need to see the wounds? What did they doubt? Did they did they see this guy Jesus and doubt that he was really the guy, 
or did they see him in doubt that he actually died? Why would they need to see the wounds at all if it looks like the guy that they knew? What so what if they, they thought, doubt? Yeah, well, they, they thought he was a ghost. Um, they So Jesus off, proves that he's not a ghost using their false assumptions at the time. Um, we, we know through modern post-death communications that actually, even, even if someone, pretend there are real ghosts, pretend that's not an issue of contention or that sort of thing, they can apply, you can touch them, even though they're, you know, it's not like your hand will necessarily go right through them or that sort of thing. But for them, that's, that's the proof that you're not a ghost in that ancient culture and ancient Jewish thinking. Yeah, yeah, but he so didn't Jesus, just say, touch um, me. He said, touch my death wounds. So he could have had he, them touch he, him without death wounds. Why, yeah, why did yeah. they need to see the wounds? What did they doubt that, that the wounds... Yeah. Uh, so that proved the connection as well, that it truly is... Look, it, I'm not a satanic apparition or, or something like that. I'm I'm, I'm the same guy. I'm, I'm Jesus that was crucified. You know, I'm the same guy that you knew before. I, nothing's changed. Um, I'm just, I'm resurrected. I, I've fulfilled my mission and that sort of thing. So it's, it's kind of, yes, it's real. It, it's jolting. It, it's really me kind of thing. Okay. So it, it seems like they didn't know it was Jesus otherwise. And they, they needed some kind of extraordinary proof that it was Jesus. And I would say, why didn't they know it was Jesus? Because he didn't look like Jesus. He didn't sound like Jesus. Uh, and uh, he, he came up with some wounds. Uh, uh, he, made his, he made his point, and I'm Jesus. And so they believe it. But without that, they didn't believe it. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm just making my case that... Okay, so why did Jesus need to eat and drink? I don't think he did. Well, the story says so, right? Does it say he was hungry? It says that he... Uh, so your question is, why did he, he need to? It. I'm not saying that he didn't eat and drink. You, you said, why did he need to eat and drink? I thought that's where your emphasis was. I don't I don't know that he did. Okay, why, well, he needed for their sake. Like, that. this was a sign, hey, I'm really flesh and blood. It's really me, right? He's accommodating their false notions as to what a spirit okay. can do then their then their false notions uh their their idea of a spirit body and i do i do grant you this that this is that the body that jesus comes with is the author's idea of what a uh, resurrected body would be it's an awful vision you're hungry. I imagine Jesus probably had to poop after he ate because, you know, that would prove it too. And he's got death wounds. Uh, it, we, you know, I say this a lot, but we still don't have a good explanation for the death wounds of Jesus. So um, the death wounds were actually a problem for me as a Christian. If Jesus is saying, look, I'm, I'm the guy that they just crucified, and you can see this in my body here, I still got the holes. Okay, then it's not a, it's not a special resurrected body. This is the old body. And if you're so, wait a minute, but if you're saying, no, this is the resurrected body and Jesus is just manifesting these wounds out of magic, then he's lying to the disciples because he's just, he's just manifesting wounds that he didn't actually have. Okay. So, so in the first place, Jesus didn't need to eat. We're not going to need to eat. I, I, I read this explicitly in the Bible. This was something I learned. And also for you to help you out, um, 
as a skeptic, I was reading in Second Corinthians that Paul takes the snake um, literally as a as a historical element of the Genesis story. So, yes. um, I, I I'm that doesn't bother me. I, I can I still just say okay, Paul, he's just making a mistake. Paul made an error on that incidental detail, but that limit that will eliminate. This is another element that that we have to say Paul took literally. Like you can't just say Paul didn't address it or something. But yeah, so I found that interesting. So yeah, um, so Paul specifically says we're not going to be eating or drinking in heaven, or or at the very least we're not going to have a need to do that. There's no food or drink. So I don't believe Jesus needed to do it. It was a demonstration that it's really me. I've risen from the dead. Now, it is true that uh, Jesus maintained his wounds, obviously, from, from the story. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily say, does he still have, bear those wounds? I, I don't know. Um, are we, are, or are we all going to have those wounds? Um, you know, obviously, people that are cremated are not going to be cremated when on the resurrection day. They're How do you know? Constituting. Because walking around as a pile of dust or Would ash, be very, pretty impressive. Walking around with walking around with holes in your side isn't very attractive either. Now you can say that no, it's, it's more attractive than walking around as a pile of dust. It's but not attractive, it's about function. We we our human bodies are ideal for us. God created us to enjoy. We are clothed when we are in these these bodies. That's fine, but you and, still got to explain why Jesus demonstrated death wounds. Because if this is a spirit body. Right, then we can look forward to death wounds, and if it's and if he was just faking it, then he's a liar. And I don't I don't right. see how you get around either one of those two options. Right. So I was going to get to that. So okay. I see it as a again, it's the same thing. It's a demonstration of continuity. Look, I'm a real body. I'm the real flesh and blood thing that was put up on that cross. It's the same as the food and food and the drink. He's he's providing these as a visual demonstration. Look, I'm flesh and blood. I'm the same guy. It's me, Jesus. Um, so it I, seems like a demon could do that because a demon can fool the very elect. So I don't see why shape-shifting wouldn't be a part of that. I don't see why they wouldn't think that was demonic. Because if, if what you're telling me is that some supernatural being came and shape-shifted uh, and showed them some things they wanted to see, that's very much within the wheelhouse of demons. So not to their mind. Obviously, in the ancient the ancient Jews, this was what it took to convince them. If somebody ate flesh and blood, that convinced them that I mean, a demon can eat can eat food and drink, um, but no, that was enough to convince them. Oh, it's not a ghost or something like that. It's not a demonic spirit or apparition. Um, okay. Well, terms of well Paul says that they could fool the very elect. So I mean, I'm I'm thinking shape shifting is probably not out outside of the realm. Okay, so, uh, so what they thought demons say, could do. Here's what I'd say from a modern theological perspective. It goes back, God would not allow for undue confusion. He would uh, not allow, okay, I won't get into it then, but that that's my, my answer. God would not allow in this religious context a, a supernatural miracle for someone who was not um, truly God's agent. Or well, that's it's undue confusion for me. So if they were too stupid to be confused by it, don't care. I'm not too stupid to be confused by it. And when I see Jesus demonstrating death wounds, once again, I had a problem with this as a Christian, not just today. Uh, when I see Jesus demonstrating death wounds, what I see is Jesus lying to uh, 
uh, the disciples because what he is saying is, look, I was just freshly crucified. But he didn't have any death wounds. He just manifested some to show them. And if he did have death wounds, he's got the kind of body I don't want. And you haven't you haven't done anything to get around those two problems. How do, how do you know he remanifested them? Maybe when he resurrected from the dead, he, he resurrected with those wounds. He maintained. Okay, so he still wounds. he still has them, right? Perhaps, but perhaps not. But that would, if he doesn't, why would that be a lie? If if he manifested with the wounds for the sake of continuity, for illustrating that point to those people. Um, and then, okay, great, I've, I've proved I'm the same guy, and now I've ascended, uh, now I'll get rid of them. Or if we're, if we're, you know, this is sheer speculation, maybe maybe after he demonstrated to Thomas, maybe the wounds disappeared, I don't know. Um, you know, you can make up anything, but let's just say this, once he ascended, the wounds healed up, and there are no, he no longer has those wounds. He, he wasn't he's, he's also walking through walls and things like that. So yeah. obviously not a normal guy, but it's right. the Bible actually describes Jesus, you know, passing through crowds that were trying to kill him long before his crucifixion as if he had the ability to manifest and and disapparate. So that's uh, that's not that's not necessarily a new feature of the new body. Um they had seen that sort of thing before. Sorry. So what? What? Where does it say Jesus disappeared and appeared at will during his ministry? Well, it doesn't say it doesn't say that exactly, but it says it kind of in so many words. There was uh, one time in particular I want to say in John uh, where um, Jesus Jesus had made some kind of statement, uh, you know, one of those I am statements, and they picked up stones to kill him. But he um, he departed from them without them being able to to uh, get him, and it, it doesn't it doesn't read as if and he ran really fast, you know, and outran the mob. Mm. But that but he passed through them somehow miraculously because it wasn't his time to die. Okay, so John John eight chapter fifty nine is what he I think you're talking about. Um, so. Yeah, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Yeah, that, that kind of sounds like a normal natural. He slipped into the crowd before they could get to him or something like that. That doesn't strike me as anything supernatural. Okay, I that's yeah. that's a reading that I am not familiar with, but I'll take that. I, I don't think that's the only um, situation there, so that's... That's something that we might sort out in the blogs if we if we have a conversation that gets down this far. Um, but but I, I want to address your main the, the thing that I'm trying to because the main objection here is you you think that Jesus is somehow lying or or being immorally deceptive by yes. maintaining those wounds. Yes, uh, the wounds I, I are a problem. I I don't get that. Like what you can say? Well, it's deceptive for Jesus to eat food and drink he doesn't need it but like this this seems like i just can't understand okay but i i do th i do think it's deceptive but i would so the food and drink thing i i think is probably a way of saying but i'm not a i'm not a vision right i and i think that's how a, most apologists look at that today 
They'll say, say, well, if he was just a vision, well, visions don't eat. Uh, so they're trying to add physicality to him. Uh, the, the writers are try, are doing their best to add physicality, and so I think I think that's all that is is the writers trying to add physicality to Jesus in that look, he really can eat, he really can pick up food, he really can uh, do these things. But in the event of the death wounds, that's not adding physicality to Jesus. That's saying something very specific about the body that you have in front of you. So the the disciples, they weren't they didn't need to see the death wounds to know that Jesus was physical. They, they could have touched his face. They could have touched his robe. They, they, that wasn't the issue. So Jesus was trying to say something else by showing them the wounds. No, I'm the guy that was crucified, and you can see these are the marks in my body. Well, those aren't the marks in his body, though, if, if he's got some new body. Those are just things that he's manifesting for, for stagecraft. Yeah, um, and, and again... Like we're assuming that you won't maintain as long as your body's functional, you won't maintain wounds or something like that. Yeah, I, I certainly. Because I got to tell you, if I died through a bullet in the head, you can make me a body that can function with a hole in my head, but I don't want it. I I would like the one without the hole in my head, please and thank you. You said that the wound that Jesus uh, in his side was a death wound. I would say that you have you don't know that. There's no need to chase that down um you say that that was a death blow everyone could see that that was a death blow well then that would have been the same as having a hole in the head so what you're saying then is that people who are shot in the head you know their new body is going to have a hole in the head and there are plenty of people who are burned to death who have enough body left so that you know you could reanimate the corpse somehow i don't i don't see where you draw the line um because it's all possible yeah, so I, I just don't think, as long as it's all good, Jesus was all good, even with these wounds, it wasn't an issue, it could be that's not an issue for him, if you have, you know, it's like saying, well, if I came back, if I die as an old man, oh no, I have to come back as a 30-year-old or a 25-year-old, I, I want to, otherwise I won't be happy, or that, you know, you, no, you might be happy in your 80-year-old body. Nope. Um, however, I again, I, I nope. I'm. I just turned forty nine. I I'm not happy in my forty nine year old body. <laughs> so if I get a new body, is don't it, give me it, this one. This is a bad like, one. <laughs> Let's roll it, it back. Ugly now, or is it because you got aches and pains or something? I, I like got, uh, yeah. You know, I could probably make a list. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think I want to look like I do now. I don't want to feel like I do now. I don't want to have the illnesses that I have now. Um, I, I don't want to have the 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 bones uh, that I have now. There's there's all kinds of things that I don't want now. Uh, so no, don't don't give me my 49 year old body, uh, and then just say, okay, I'm going to take away the aches and pains. Even even that's not uh, quite enough. But what you're saying is Jesus got his death body back, and it didn't take away any of the signs at all. So he felt good. He was a mess, but he felt good. It, and if that's your idea of resurrection, that is such a macabre, uh, nightmare zombie scenario. 
I don't see how anyone would would think of that and say, "Yep, that's what I'm signing signing up for. I want to be raised in that body and live that way forever." Hook me up. No thanks. Yeah, but all all those problems wouldn't be problems anymore. You wouldn't have issues with bones. I'm sorry. If I've got my head hanging off because someone killed me with a sword, that's a problem for me. (laughs) Well, that wouldn't be like a functioning human being body. But anyways, I I tend more now, like we discussed this before, and I thought about it and that sort of thing. I don't believe this. I think that we will be whole. Um, that's what I lean towards, but I'm just saying either way, it's, it's good is if there are no problems of what we have and we are able to live in a human body as God intended us to be able to live. It doesn't matter if I have a scratch on my hand or something like that. I, I don't well, think if the human body that God happens. intended for us to live can get scratched, it's not a good body. So that's that's problematic. And if you're saying that the body that Jesus demonstrated is the body that we can look forward to, that's not a good body. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure about... I don't think I... I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think that with the wounds that Jesus had, it, it could be that's fine, where he was perfectly able to live as God intended. It wasn't causing him pain or anything like that. However, I'm not dogmatic on that, and I lean against it now. I think that what Jesus was doing, this was a another visual demonstration for A lie. What? A lie. I don't see it as a lie at all. Okay, but it's an illusion. It's illusory. It's not real. Jesus Jesus is showing them something that they want to see to satisfy their expectations, but it's not really real. Now, Jesus, if he wanted to show us something impressive, could have showed us, yeah, I'm the same guy that they crucified, but look, no no marks. I'm, I'm different. I'm better. This is what you can expect to, uh, to have. And if he, if he had done that, though, he might not have, doubting Thomas might not have believed. And, and why? Because they weren't there to see him die, be buried, or rise. It's a bad story with bad witnesses. And, and what they did witness, part of it, according to the story, at least as I read it, is fake. They, they saw a guy doing a magic trick, and, and they ended up believing something that wasn't true. Because I don't believe for a moment that Jesus is sitting around on a throne with a gaping hole in his side, a sucking chest wound, and holes in his hands bleeding out. That's bullshit. Okay, so the point is, yeah, we're accepting that it was done for the sake. That's not a deceptive illusion. That is a glorious, beautiful telling of the truth, saying that I am continue. I am the same guy that was same hunk of meat that was crucified up on the cross. Except he wasn't, as as we've said, not the same hunk of meat. What? Not the same hunk of meat. No, the exact same hunk of meat with different qualities and properties that were acquired in his glorious resurrection body. Um, but it's, it's, there's that continuation. What went down came back up. Um, and that's what he was demonstrating. There's nothing deceptive about that. That is, that is wonderful. He is accommodating and compromising, something that God demonstrates that he does repeatedly in the Old Testament. He, he understands our weakness and frailty and lack of understanding, and, and as much as he can compromises to work within our human limitations to help us to understand. Um, So 
yeah, I don't see a problem in him manifesting, resurrecting with the same wounds for that purpose. And then once he ascends, okay, the wounds are gone. That's not... So he could have manifested to people as Allah uh, or uh, the Buddha, or he could have manifested to people as Krishna um, or Sai Baba. Uh, I mean, if, if we're saying that he can just manifest to anyone as anything to help meet their expectations, then we should take all of those other stories uh, seriously too. So I don't, I don't think he could manifest as anything um, because in, in those specific examples, there's a religious context, which would be There's saying, a religious context to a resurrected physical body. And he was feeding into that. So yeah. So what? No, no, but that, that's all supporting the Christian but the Christian claim uh, isn't that we're going to rise bodies with death wounds. So he was he was manifesting a particular kind of body that's not particularly a Christian claim because his disciples were too stupid to ask the right questions. Right. And so, first of all, we don't know that it is a false claim. But if it, if it is the case that we're not going to maintain our mortal wounds, things so long as they're functional that's not a problem it's all within the christian context it's just a distinction without a difference it doesn't matter whether we believe we're going to maintain our wounds or we're not am i going to be risen with a mustache yeah, it does. Or not? yes am I it gonna... does no it doesn't yes I, it does it, it, I, do, I, don't, I don't know a woman alive who wants to be resurrected with a mustache it does matter. <laughs> it absolutely <laughs> it, matters. It won't be so vain. They don't have to attract men. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, you, they, they like all men. you are proving is my original point, uh, and I think that we can give the audience their bathroom break here. But you you have successfully proven my original point that Christians don't give a tinker's damn about resurrection. They haven't thought three minutes about it. Um, and you are one of the smarter Christians that most of the people on this board will encounter, and you haven't even thought that deeply about it because your answers are very shallow and juvenile. Um, and I don't even mean that in a mean way. <laughs> so I know that sounds pretty mean. I, I, I want to take away some of the I'm harshness joking, there. Just saying, I don't I think that you were juvenile. Yeah, but I think that you know for caring about frivolous vanities. The point is, of the Bible is that we are going to. It, our red, new resurrected bodies are a good thing. We're going to like it when we're in them, regardless of whether of what they look like. So look, as your signal is breaking up pretty bad, and rather rather than me editing for what we need in heaven. Uh, so, okay, your your signal just broke up real bad. I was trying to interrupt you to let you know. Rather than edit that out, I uh, I am going to say that I have spoken my last word. I will give you. Um, a chance to close it out since this was my uh, topic and um, tell the people who we're going to be seeing next week. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, to bring the threads of this debate. Um, so David basically wants to say, what is the big deal about Jesus resurrection? And I provided the conclusive answer to that, which David accepts given the biblical story uh, that there's an eschatological significance to Jesus' resurrection that makes it unique compared to any other biblical account um, and, quite frankly, any other non-Christian religious account. Um, Jesus' resurrection is totally... There's not a single ancient myth or even modern resurrection claim that compares 
to Jesus in terms of its significance of the the event, its purpose. Put it that way. Um, and it's yep. Yeah, he mentions other myths um, and that sort of thing. Uh, I, I'm sorry, that's very controversial in scholarship. We don't necessarily have resurrection accounts in the same sense. I mean, N.T. Wright's written 700 pages comparing um, Jesus' resurrection to the Gentile context and within the Jewish context. Um, so, yeah, um, I don't think you can point to the ancient context. Uh, and the evidence isn't comparable for modern resurrection claims like Sai Baba, um, who I know is a big person that that uh, David mentions that the resurrection is unique. Um, sure, there could be potential incidental details that contradict, um, but that's still not an issue. We can, historians can still determine that, uh, that the historical event, the essential historical event, such as the resurrection or crucifixion, took place uh, despite these various aspects. Um, and yeah, there are there are solutions that solve many of these alleged contradictions and that sort of things. Um, in terms of the resurrection body being desirable, me and David did a show on that, uh, and we discussed it here. Um, so I, I've taken the route, regardless of what the resurrection body entails, we know that it will have certain supernatural properties that we don't have in this life right now. Um, and it will be a good thing. The Bible presents it as we want to, we will be happy. Even if women resurrect with mustaches, which I don't, you know, this is just making up a, a joke type thing. If that's the case, we'll be happy with it. You'll like it. You, we won't, it won't be an issue. Whatever the resurrection body entails will be a good thing according to the Bible. Um, I think I've, I've uh, yeah, and you know, there are various resurrection theories. So there's the swoon theory, uh, the substitution theory, and that sort of thing. The, these things have all been addressed many times, and I think refuted in the sense that they're improbable, if not impossible. Um, I wouldn't make the claim that they're impossible necessarily. Um, yeah, I think that covers all the thread, all the threads in summary. So yeah, that's that's my take. Uh, David's convinced me that uh, at some point I'm going to do, I'm going to need to do a bonus series on the resurrection, treating it very seriously and thoroughly, um, because this is a, a key evidence for Christianity. Um, yeah. So so next week on the show, um, we're going to have Anthony Magnabosco. I reached out to him. He's an atheist that does uh, street epistemology. Um, so we're going to be discussing his uh, method for quote-unquote evangelizing Christians or religious people or, or just anyone and, and their claims and that sort of thing. So that'll be a, an interesting show. And also you'll have the Shroud episodes to look forward to. So yeah, have a good week, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.